We're back! Home! No more long journeys this week. It's time to settle back into the T-Town lifestyle here on the Out of the Box podcast. I'm Gray Robertson, seated to my right, also thrilled to be home with his wife and children, Tom Canterbury. Yes. How long was the hug? Was it a slow-mo run and jump situation when you returned well no because they were all asleep because it was very late right it but was 1 next, 30 right but the next true. morning yes there okay. was there was a lot of that situation uh i was just happy they still recognized me to see like i was gone for so long but yes uh happy back and happy back in tuscaloosa this week especially because it's spring break and that means all the students are gone and you can actually get get into places and get places quickly did you enjoy your parking spot outside right in front of the door very much perfect yes you could not ask for a better spot yesterday driving to the bus to go to florence yeah didn't see a soul it was great <laughs> lovely i mean i look we i can somehow wanna... have the university without all the people that would be the best <laughs> is there a way to create a college that doesn't have people. <laughs> University of Phoenix might have the right, right idea. Yeah, right. That type of thing. Oh, man. We're happy to be home, as yes. you can tell. Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. Let's go over our trip around the bases, Tom. Okay. It's been a hot second since we've had a full trip because of our various work trips mm-hmm. that have prevented us from doing a normal pod. And this one's coming out later in the week because of said trips. Here's what we've got on the docket. We'll start at the plate and talk about Alabama. There is a lot to discuss. A one and three trip to Austin, a win last night over North Alabama as we record in Florence. There's some good, there's some mad, there's some not so good. And all of that is heading into the start of conference play. Great. Awesome. Yes. We love it. My favorite. Then we will advance to first. What happened in SEC opening weekend? It was crazy. What happened? Yeah. I mean, I've got questions. About if, some teams. If you're an Alabama th- fan and think that only Alabama is is up and down and having issues, just wait. I mean, pretty much everyone. Yeah, everybody had some kind of issue, except for strangely Kentucky, which yeah. we will get to. Yeah, trust me. We'll also do, of course, FGCL Player of the Week. Then we will steal second in what is and what I hope will be a really good conversation with Michelle Smith. And I like to bring in Michelle usually right after she does a series featuring Alabama this time. I thought it would be fun to do so right before uh, just to kind of get her thoughts coming in. And I'm really excited to see what she has to say ahead of Alabama, Arkansas. Yeah, going to get her thoughts on that. And then it's also a lot of different uh, discussions about the the world of softball as a whole uh and you know, no one better to talk to than michelle smith about that i mean she legend yes. right i mean she knows she knows she's been there from pretty much the beginning she's seen a few things yes then we will round third we're going to of course cover the big games outside of sec play coming up this weekend we're also going to do something a little different something that is kind of like tom's hungry but not but possibly long enough that it needed its own segment of the show. (laughs) We're calling it the amuse-bouche, which will be our menus. If we ever won the Masters, what would our champion's dinner be? Because that's going to happen. Yeah, well, that's why we have a podcast. Sergio Garcia did it, so maybe (laughs) we have a chance. Probably not anymore, though. Mm. Finally, we will head home and look at picks, plot Mm. twist, 
We tied opening oh, weekend. How about that? Yeah, well done. Nice little 11th hour comeback from Tom. I'll take it. And then, of course, we've got the actual Tom's Hungry from our trip to Austin. And off the wall, there are a few things that we do have to cover. Like, hmm, this person is actually a creep. Yeah. There are a few things that we have to look out for Yeah, as the off-the-wall gatekeepers. Careful. I mean, look, if you're in there enough, I'm eventually going to do some background and find some things you probably don't want the public to be aware of. Don't, don't Google it. No, don't look up. This Twitter, I'm just kidding, I'm not going <laughs> to name it. But of course, we will start at the plate. Okay. Mm. So we go to Austin. Fun city. Yeah, I had a good time. Yeah. It was fine. It took a while to get everywhere, but it was fine. Yeah, right, yeah. Uh, one and three trip. You split with Texas. You lose to Texas State and Wisconsin. There is a lot to take from that whole weekend i'm gonna kind of clump in the 5-2 win over north alabama as well and we'll talk about specifically that game after we get through the totality of our thoughts on alabama we'll start with the good because we always do uh montana fouts (laughs) i mean the performance against texas in game two a backed up what we've always known she's better the second time a team sees her uh b was a display of endurance and determination that is difficult to find in college softball nowadays uh, because there are so many more staffs. You often don't see somebody just go 11 innings the day after facing the same team. And then to get her 1,000th career strikeout last night as we record against North Alabama, just a heck of a week and a half for Montana Fouts. It really was. And, you know, that performance on Saturday, kind of the stuff of legends, that uh, she was able to come out there and just refused to allow Alabama to lose that game. There, she was like, we are winning this game. If I have to pitch 24 innings, they're not scoring again. You think this yes. leadoff double is yeah. going to do it? Right. Hell no. No. Like, she is not moving off that second base bag. No. Uh, and so that it was just really impressive to watch her be able to do that. Uh, considering the fact that she had pitched the day before uh, in probably uh, what she would probably classify maybe her worst start of the season, you know, gave up the five runs and then uh, got pulled after three. And to come back and have that, you know, that look in her eye that Patrick Murphy talked about, like when you saw her coming in that day, you know, gave her the fist bump before the game. And I was like, this Montana's here. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is, uh, this is going to be quite the performance, and it was great to see Alabama offensively be able to finally score that run in the 11th to win that 1-4-3. Yeah, I was just so impressed, and you talk about the look in the eye. That's something that I've described to a lot of people over the years, to to ESPN folks, to, to friends who just are curious. I'm like, Montana's really good, but when you look at her and you're scared, right. and we're just up in the booth, yeah, that's when you know something is happening. And there are days where I can pinpoint that. I think of Oklahoma at the World Series in 19. I think of the UCLA perfect game. Like there have been games where you can just tell just by looking at Montana and and making eye contact yeah. that she is on another level. And that is a hard level to reach. There is a reason I can probably count specific moments like that on maybe one and a half hands because when you're an elite athlete to reach that elite of eliteness it takes a lot out of you right 
And I think that's what we saw on Sunday. Yeah, and I think that's what we saw on Sunday when she gave up the home run to Kayla Conlon. Right, because even after that home run, she just demoted everybody down after that. But right. uh, Wisconsin is taking the league at that point. But that's it's it's really I know you've talked about it during the broadcast, especially that it's you know it's it's an honor to be able to watch her pitch at this point. Um, and we got an extra year from her, and this is this is really impressive to watch her here this season. And um, Alabama's going to need her. You would like for Alabama to be able to get through, say, a game like against North Alabama without her having to come in to pitch. Uh, but this just may be a year where you're just going to have to rely on Montana. Yeah, and there would have been a lot of people who would have left Florence mm. quite sad if Montana had not appeared. Right. So we're just doing it for them. Sure. We're doing it for the fans. Another good, Kristen White has really come on since she has become a full member of the lineup. And we've seen her as a defensive replacement. We've seen her kind of start in spots here and there. But it seems like she has fully cemented herself in that nine and potentially as the leadoff. Like, the offense has shown more life since Kristen White got to the top of the order. And I think that that's really fascinating because if you go back to the first podcast of the year – this is kind of the lineup that I envisioned. Uh, I, I liked what we had early on, but then it kind of stalled out. And yeah. Kristen White has kind of been the spark plug to get the engine going again these last few games. Yeah, there was a game, second or third week, they've all started to run together. But there was a game where she had a couple of pop-up bunts and had a couple of times where she wasn't able to execute uh, and kind of, for lack of a better term, kind of got in the doghouse for a little bit. But then, you know, got back in the lineup at the top of the order, taking a little bit of pressure off Kenley Cahalen and has been, you know, she is a prototypical leadoff hitter if she's able, especially to get those bunts down and beat out the slaps and those type of things. And uh, she's been able to do that a lot recently. And uh, I think she, uh, I agree. I think she's kind of cemented herself in as that leadoff hitter. I've also got down here, Clutch Kenley with the game winning hit against Texas. Jenna's catch against North Alabama, just sick. Oh man. And I was great. I was happy to see that there was, uh, I shared on Twitter a, a different view, a different angle, mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, the ESPN Plus angle was just, you know, the behind home and, and you know, filming it through the, the backstop and everything. I don't think you got a real good uh, angle on it, but then to see it from the outfield and watch her just fly over that temporary fence to make that catch, it was... But uh, also get a foot down. Yes. Which the NFL and college football... Because I think she got a second foot little toe drag as well. Right. Both would have been a catch in any sport on any field. Absolutely. And it was just it was just amazing. And, you know, he called it a uh, Jenna Johnson special because she's done it before. It was a, very similar to field three out in Clearwater when she did that. Yep. Kristen White did something similar this year. Uh, so it, it was uh, truly an amazing play. 10 out of 10 for Jenna Johnson. Well done. Thank you. We, we're not taking a point off for anything. No. I've never seen any Little Leaguer make that play. No, I would be impressed, though. I would, 100%. Any other good that you want to highlight before we move to the meh? I think, again, the it wasn't just Montana on that Saturday against uh, Texas. I thought the whole team had that that mindset and mentality of, we're going to find a way to win this game. And then... uh, I really like the conversations that we had with the players before that Texas game, with Allie Shipman in particular, because you were, you know, disappointed in the night before, and then also you lost to Texas State earlier in that day. Uh, but it was really good. I thought it was. It showed a lot of character and resiliency to be able to come back in against, you know, a record crowd at, at Texas. They were really fired up. Thought, you know, smelled the blood in the water. Had a chance to take both games from Alabama, and Alabama wasn't going to let them do it. Yeah. All right. To the meh. 
I mean, I'm not going to raise any alarm bells, but Ashley Prangy went one for 15 in Austin. And after an 0 for 3 night last night in Florence, her average is right at 300 right now, which is way too low for her. She's much better than that. Kimley Kahalen has seen the strikeout numbers go way up these last few games. And Bailey Dowling and Allie Shipman have not been producing as consistently as we have seen them do at times this year and throughout their careers. And the problem is, I just mentioned Alabama's four big RPI producers and four best hitters in a mag category. If that's the case, then it's really hard for the offense to click. Right. Yeah, there was too many times uh, in the losses that we've been tusking, discussing that when we would do the postgame show, I'd be reading 0 for 4, 0 for 3, 0 for 3, that, and, and it would be four or five players in a stretch having that. And that's something yeah. that Alabama had avoided in, for most of the first, first you know, month of the season. We hadn't seen that. We had seen Alabama be able to pass the bat down, put up big numbers, put up you know, the crooked numbers in innings. But, yeah, just too many times where the, some of the big names you know, went over and, you know, and some of the outs were not even productive outs. Yeah, and if they all go over, then you get a Texas State situation. <laughs> exactly. I mean, just it's not going to happen a ton when you've got Prangy, Kahalen, Dowling, and Shipman all not producing, but we saw what happens when that is the case this mm-hmm. weekend. And there's not even really like a fix for it because they all will and should be in the lineup. You just have to hope that it doesn't happen again where they all – aren't able to do something right and, we, and we've seen you know prangy go up and down the lineup a little bit we've seen prangy go down i think even one game she bats she batted seventh here yeah. recently but you know just kind of patrick murphy trying to find that that perfect mix you know put the puzzle pieces in different spots to be able to find you know something that's going to be able to click for everyone and you know there's that still doesn't mean there's not going to be games where you're going to have to try to win two one because that softball, you know, sometimes that's going to happen. Uh, but you, you want you want runners on base. You know, you, you can't you can't do the all the other stuff you want to do. You know, manufacturing or that type of thing, which Alabama has done well without people on base. Right. So. And I talked last night about the strikeouts as well. I feel like we've seen the strikeout numbers really rise these last few games, and in particular in important moments. And uh, that is not a hallmark of Alabama's offense and not something that we've seen for the majority of the year. And it's something that certainly can't stick around this weekend as we kind of transition to conference play. But there is one more thing I want to get to, and that's the defense. Uh, Right now, if I'm providing analysis, my analysis would be defense has been not good for the last few weeks, kind of out of nowhere, uh, to the point where it's, it's little mistakes that all seem to happen at the same time that happen in bunches. It's not just one or two errors. It's like three. Yeah. It's and maybe a fourth if the score wasn't so generous to the offense. I mean, it's it's very bizarre. And I think Alabama's putting out their best defensive lineup. I just am not quite sure what is causing these yeah. high error fluctuations. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to put a finger on it. I, I think if you could, then it'd be fixed. Right. But it's the issue uh, I think definitely the first Texas game and the Wisconsin game in Austin, uh, if you had to point to one thing why Alabama lost the game, it'd be defense. Absolutely. Um, you know, they, so you have to be sound in all three phases of the game. It's like, it's like football. You got to be sound in, in the kicking game as well as offense and defense. 
Uh, you're, you're still trying to do that uh, with softball. And, you know, it's a situation where you do have some youth on the infield, especially. So there are going to be some errors there. But the fact that they just all kind of seem to bunch up and all happen around the same time or in really big points in the game, that's just got to be something that you've got to find a way to not have that happen. And I think part of it is, and to not not to make excuses, but the schedule, I think, kind of caught up with Alabama a little bit here. Um, that there was so many games in a row, so many, um, you know, you're traveling. There's a lot of things happening. Alabama hasn't had a regular practice in almost two weeks until today. Today, today yeah. was their first so, practice in basically two weeks. Right. So I think the schedule now will work out because Alabama playing in the Saturday, Sunday, Monday series, you get a couple, you get an extra day of practice. Right. And, you know, if it's just, you know, going back, let's just work on the fundamentals. Let's have a fundamental practice. Uh, we're you're just going to hit ground balls and you're going to field it. Uh, we're going to work on pitch selection. We're going to do all these different things. And that's something just you haven't had a chance to do because of, of the schedule. Uh, so hopefully uh, the Tide will take full advantage of these next few days of just regular practice, get some good rest, and be uh, at their best for Arkansas coming in this weekend. And that schedule is Saturday, 4.30 p.m. Central Time, Sunday, 5 p.m. Central Time, Monday night softball. 6 p.m. Central Time on the SEC Network. Michelle Smith, Amanda Scarborough, Kevin Brown, they will be here in venue. Very excited to see our friends. Tom and I will have all the coverage on Sunday and Monday. Tom is being lazy and missing. Just kidding, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Tom will not be here on Saturday, so it'll be me and Kelly Tao on the radio side. So we are going to fully encompass this series uh we've got other media friends who may or may not be coming into town more on that hopefully on next week's pod or maybe this weekend uh this is a series that while i think has certainly lost a little bit of luster in the last few weeks is still vitally important for both of these schools when you look at the totality of the sec race for arkansas they just lost a series at home against Texas A&M. For Alabama, I'm looking in the future. Next weekend is a series at Tennessee, which right now, if we did betting odds, odds are probably not great that Alabama is going to win that series. They can, for sure, but Vegas would probably side well with the Lady Vols. So this weekend is vitally important that you get off to a strong start, considering what is ahead the immediate next weekend. Can't believe that Tennessee series is like right around the corner. Next week, uh, it's crazy. We know that uh, Brian Rice will be on the show very soon yes. because Tennessee is coming up. Here, here he comes. But yeah, I think it's a Arkansas. The last couple of years, when they've won the SEC regular season championship, it's almost like they've had it wrapped up after you know three or four series, uh, just because of the way the schedule fell. And when you looked at, oh my gosh, they're nine and zero, and who's going to beat them? And even if they do get beat who's going to be able to catch them. Right. Uh, but so they're going to be, fun, you know, coming at it in a different way this year because they're coming out of a hole to start off with losing a series that, you know, before the season started, uh, definitely not one that you thought Arkansas was going to drop at home to Texas A&M. So they're going to be playing uh, desperate here early on if they want to have an opportunity to uh, be a three-peat in the SEC regular season. And I think, Honestly, you've got a very similar pitching situation for both of these schools. You've got Shanice Dells for Arkansas, Montana Fouts for Alabama. Behind Shanice Dells, 
There's Kelly Turner. There's Robin Heron, who's shown flashes, but she got hit a little bit last night against Wichita State. For Alabama, Jayla Torrance, who's shown flashes, but got hit a little bit last night against North Alabama. Lauren Esman, Alex Salter. This is going to be a fascinating test case for both pitching staffs. I think we can firmly expect a Saturday-Monday Fouts versus Dels showdown. Sunday could be a two times through and switch situation unless whoever's in is getting hit maybe even one time through i don't know i honestly have no idea how it's going to play out i think we have seen patrick murphy try and tinker with the possible idea and plan about all right who's going to be our number two okay maybe we don't have a number two maybe we have a 2a 2b i just i don't know if he's found an answer yet and i guess we just have to wait and see yeah i think so and uh, i think it's gonna be important for alabama there's something else as far as the offense goes that if you do, because you know, we've seen them before this season, come out with a great plan against the starter, knock that starter out, and then the second pitcher comes in, and then they not make the adjustment to that second pitcher very yeah. quickly. Uh, so if Alabama is able to, say on that Sunday, if Callie, say Callie Turner starts for Arkansas and you knock her out in the first inning, when the second pitcher comes in, be able to continue that offensive momentum and not take you know, maybe two or three more innings before you can add to a lead that you already have. Right. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully Alabama has, has to do that. Hopefully that's the case that, that you knock out the, the starter quickly and then uh, and try to make that adjustment to the second pitcher. Three days. You got a lot of time to put together that plan and work on the execution of it against those other pitchers. Mm-hmm. And of course they know that we'll be getting Shanice Dells, the reigning SEC pitcher of the year. We will be picking Alabama-Arkansas coming up later on in the show, Tom. But that's kind of all I've got in regards to Alabama. I think that we have covered it pretty well. Now that we're going to see Alabama kind of back in their normal weekly time frame with games and practices and all that jazz, I'm really interested to see if the Alabama that we saw in Clearwater pops up because it's going to be much more like that going forward. Absolutely. Because, I mean, I think – some of the frustrations that I know that you and I have had, that uh, everyone around the team has had, that fans have had with this Alabama team so far is because everyone knows how good they can be. Yeah. And we've seen them play at, at the elite level. They see them where, you know, they, they have the ability to, you know, be a World Series team. They have an ability to make a run in Oklahoma City. Uh, but we've also seen them fall short of that, maybe, you know, play down to the competition a little bit or, or just struggle struggle to, to start off games and then figure out the figure it out but figure it out too late in some some instances so you know if if we didn't know that they had the capability to do what they are we'd say well you know just hope everybody has fun but that's not the that's not the situation we know that right. they have that capability so uh and we know that they know that they have that capability too so uh, i wouldn't jump off the the ship just yet i completely agree <laughs> okay tom it's time to put it in play who shall we be i think we're we're kristen white beating out a slap is what i love say. it yes kristen is like rapidly rising up my favorite players that we've ever covered power rankings because of the way that she plays the way that she is around us off the field i love that she just she doesn't seem to be bogged down by anything she just plays softball All right and I think that's a perfect choice. Sounds good. Let's okay. do it. We put it in play. When we come back, we'll advance to first. What? Who? The, the SEC did what now? Kentucky? Ooh. A&M? Ooh. What? 
Oh, Lord. We'll South Carolina won a game? I am, well, gosh, we'll talk about it when we come back here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. Grand time. You know who it is. We're advancing to first here on the show. We're going to, of course, use this time to recap opening weekend whilst also looking at a couple midweek situations that have happened for a few of these teams. Are you ready to start with this weekend's opponent? Sure. Okay. Arkansas lost a home series to Texas A&M. Good. I I mean, oh, no. I am fascinated by this. Here's how it went down. Are you ready? These are the scores. Arkansas wins game one, eight, nothing in five. They score five runs in the first, and we're all, me and you on the air, me and Amanda Scarborough over text, we're all talking about it. We're like, oh boy. Here we go. Wow. Arkansas is ready. Got it figured out. They are going to win the SEC again. Game two, A&M wins 2 nothing. It's like, okay, you know. I'm surprised Arkansas got shut out. Interesting way for this game two to go. Game three, A&M wins 9-1 in five innings. It's not often that you see a series with two run rules and one by each team. It's weird. Yeah. I don't know quite what to make of this, or at least I didn't. And then I tracked and went back and watched some highlights and a couple extended clips of Arkansas getting run ruled and shellacked on the road against Wichita, uh, against Wichita State in Wichita, 10-2 in six. All of a sudden, this is kind of an Arkansas team that is struggling to figure out who they are, which is so weird. Shanice Dels did not pitch against Wichita State, gave up six earned runs and seven and two-thirds against A&M. The Arkansas team batting average in the series is 281, and they're well below 300 for the year. I'm not quite sure what to make of the Hogs at this point, and as we prep for this weekend, I'm sure I'll find out more, but it was surprising to see how this all went down. Yeah, I mean, they're... um... Just a lot of a lot of questions. And a lot of it is, you know, we've talked about it since day one that they've had to replace so many players from the last couple of years. And, you know, you're doing it with a lot of really talented but still young players. You're doing it with, you know, people trying to find a way to gel together. Uh, I think we're seeing that with some with Alabama as well. But um, you know, you have a lot of new players, a lot of young players that are trying to figure out what their slot is, what their position is on the team. And then, you know, when, you know, Dels maybe doesn't have lights out stuff like she normally does, it, it kind of puts them behind the eight ball quickly. And then you have a team like Wichita, who is, you know, they're, they're, they're a pretty cohesive unit. They, they know who they are. You have a team like Texas A&M who's, you know, really battle tested because, you know, they played that schedule that Trisha Ford wasn't real excited about when we talked to her, but I think it's probably worked out to, to yeah. their uh, advantage. A&M is a team that all of a sudden, if I did bracketology right now, would be in the hosting conversation. Yeah. Because of their RPI and their strength of schedule, which is fascinating. Crazy. I mean. So I, I think it was, Texas A&M ended up being, you know, one of the worst teams that Texas, that Arkansas could have played in their first SEC series because of that. Shaley Ackerman and Emily Levitt were both phenomenal in the circle. And that's what else is fascinating about this. A&M's number one, we all thought at this point going into this weekend, was Emily Kennedy. She didn't make it out of the first inning mm-hmm. in game one and didn't have to throw again. And A&M win the series. Crazy. I. This seems like the kind of team that I don't think is going to win the conference, 
but daggum, they're going to make it really tough for somebody to mm. do just that. Yeah, I mean, shoot, they might have just now really put Arkansas behind the eight ball to start things off winning that series. And as we look down the line, I, I can't help but circle, Tom, Tennessee at Texas A&M right at the end of March and beginning of April. Wow. Could be a threat to the best pitching staff in the world. Could be critical to determine who wins this league, maybe for A&M's sake as well. I mean, honestly, at this point, again, I'm not willing to pick it even right now. Yeah. But, I mean, it's not out of the question. I mean, they've gone on the road and won a series against one of the top contenders in the league, so you got to talk about them. They were tight with UCLA. They've beaten Baylor on the road. They were tight with uh, a bunch of teams in Clearwater. They beat Aries. Like They have shown Mm -hmm. that they can hang. And we'll see what they do this weekend against the Georgia Bulldogs, who just came off of a wacky and wild series with Auburn. Auburn wins game one, six, five. They get away with not starting Matty Penta. Then Georgia wins game two, five, nothing. And then two runs in the seventh to force extras. And then a walk off in the 10th gives the Bulldogs a five, four win in game three to take the series two one pulled victory out of the jaws of defeat there on Sunday, but a, uh, or in game three, I should say, but what a, what a interesting series for Auburn starting off with is they, you know, they lose the series two one, but like you said, uh, starting Shelby low twice instead of Matty Benta. Uh, I think Auburn is probably kicking themselves because they had a chance to to win this series starting Matty Pinto once, and that would have been completely shocking to me. And instead, they leave last week with a loss to Georgia Tech, two losses to Georgia, and I think more questions about the offense and about the pitching staff behind Matty Penta. Uh, if this series and this plan by Mickey Dean was supposed to provide comfort for the staff behind Matty Penta, mission failed. Yeah. And, you know, again, with that loss to Georgia Tech as well, you know, what had been a really good start to the season kind of really takes a, takes a tumble uh, with what happened this week. You know, to lose that like they did against Georgia Tech on walk-off, they lost to both Georgia Tech and won the games against Georgia by walk-off. So yeah. in some in some fashion, you can say, well, we were right there, but the other way, but we weren't able to finish it off. And Auburn is, I think, too good to be leaving those four games one and three because I still am not totally sure about Georgia yet. You know, coming into the year, I felt really good about them, but actually watching them, my confidence level has decreased. Yeah. I think Jada Kearney, who had the walk-off, is obviously really good. This offense has shown for sure flashes, and then there are games where they suddenly and kind of stunningly get shut down by people. Madison Kerpix had a really good weekend, so did Shelby Walters. But I I thought coming in that Auburn was better than Georgia, even though I picked Georgia to win that series. And I think Auburn's just got to be kicking themselves right now at how all of last week played out. And Georgia's got to be just – ecstatic oh, that over got, the moon that they got out of that series with a series win absolutely huge because i think georgia can win this league and finding a way to steal two out of three against a good auburn team is a great way to kickstart that campaign absolutely tennessee it probably leads the campaign right now to win the sec they swept ole miss two runs allowed they were the first two batters that peyton gotchall faced in her sec career a single and a home run 
in the first inning of game two, and then nothing else for the Rebels. Yeah. When when that pulled up, we're like, oh, oh Miss, all right, here. Oh no, that actually mm, actually not escalated quite quickly. Yes, yes never Kiki mind. Kiki Malloy eight RBIs on three hits that were all home runs in the series. Ridiculous. Are we gonna give her SEC Player of the Year now? She's gonna win it. Looks like it. I mean, she's gonna win it. Twelve hits for Tennessee on the weekend. Six were home runs, so making them count. Ashley Rogers threw a no hitter. Pickens a shutout. Gotchall was shut down after those first two batters. Ole Miss weirdly didn't have Maya Stevenson, who is literally playing right now against Southern Miss. Yeah, that was I weird. don't know where she went. Injury, I have no idea. I'm not going to guess. Uh, Ole Miss pitching was fine. You know, Caitlin Riley pitched well in game three. Tennessee scoring 17 runs on 12 hits. Yeah. I, look, but... I leave this series being like, yeah, Tennessee is good. Am I ready to say, yeah, Tennessee's a national championship contender? I don't think so, and that's mainly because of how I feel about Ole Miss. Yeah, Uh, I think when it's kind of all said and done, Tennessee just held serve this week. Right. So we'll see what they're able to do here coming up. But, you know, sweeps are hard to come by in the SEC regardless on who the the opponent is. So for them to be able to make that happen, I I think Tennessee is definitely continuing to go up uh, all the different – rankings and the outlook looks really good for them because you know we we were joking about it but they might have the best pitching staff in the country it's like, a it's a legitimate yeah. thing and when you have that in addition to maybe the best overall player in malloy then you know you have definitely got a lot lot to work with can you imagine the best pitching staff in the world and the best player in the country uh that's a lot yep well you know what they will be tested this weekend more on that in just a bit. Tom, I've got a question, and we actually have a very firm answer. Yes, indeed. Are you ready? I am ready. Who's pitching? Maybe the pitcher of the week nationally. Wow. Yes. The number one pitcher in the country, per D1 Softball's power rankings, Stephanie Schoonover from Kentucky. Is who's pitching? And she will continue to be who's pitching until the end of time. Hopefully. If, I, if not, then we have a different conversation to have. True. But, yes. Kentucky wow. sweeps Missouri three shutouts, 5 nothing, 5 nothing, 6 nothing. The offense, better. Not great, but better. I mean, Missouri's pitching staff is solid, uh, but they're the kind with Weber and Krings that they're not going to shut out people. It's, right. you know, it's like limit them to one or two runs at best normally and let the offense figure it out behind them. That did not happen this weekend. Uh, I got to say, though, this is impressive from Kentucky. I think we talked about it last weekend, how this series in particular is typically very hard to predict. And I think we even joked about Kentucky sweeping Missouri. They did it. Right. In a battle of enigmas, the one thing I didn't think would be happening was one team sweeping the other. You know, you kind of thought, well, that means you know, if, if we don't really know what either team is, and they'll probably get 2-1 one, one way or the other. But for Kentucky to do that and to not allow Missouri to score a run all weekend, Missouri. Uh, Missouri, right. Very surprised. I don't know if this maybe says more about Missouri than it even does about Kentucky, Uh, but uh, I think if you're Larissa Anderson, you kind of maybe go back to the drawing board after this past weekend. It it is very perplexing, and as we look ahead, Missouri this weekend will be at Florida, so I think we're going to get some answers in regards to that because I still don't really know how I feel about Florida yet. Right. You want to take the victory lap on this one? No, I got one. South Carolina 
won a game. That's all we were asking. Beat LSU. Game two, four to two. Donnie Goborn is looking like the best pitching option. Would I call her an ace? And eh, I don't know if that's a thing at South Carolina, considering their pitching plan and and the legit Susie Allstaff that Bev mm-hmm. Smith is trying. But she was great in game two. Allie Kilponen, two earned runs across game one and game three in complete game efforts. LSU's offense, pretty solid. I mean, I'm going to be honest, though. This feels like a missed opportunity for LSU to get a sweep because they did play so well. I wonder if that's going to come back to haunt them at some point. It may, but like if you're looking at it, if you're South Carolina, let's just throw a different pitcher almost every inning. I, I think that's kind of what you have to do. Um, if you don't have, you know, Goldborn has been good, but if you don't have that main ace to go to, you know, just give give those opponents a different look each time they come through. It's not going to work every time, and that's why you see LSU won the series. You know, but you it, it'll help you maybe steal a game or two that you wouldn't have been able to win uh, before. Uh, but I, I do think you need we need to point out how well LSU did play overall, and to win that series two one. Um, they're still in, in a good spot if they're able to take the series from Tennessee this week with them coming to Baton Rouge. They're obviously right back in it. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Uh, Taylor Pleasance just continue. If Look, if Kiki Malloyd had won SEC Player of the Year, Taylor Pleasance probably will. Right. I mean, she has been good since the beginning of the year and has not stopped. And when you've got Briggs and Coffee setting the table right in front of her, it is that is an offense that is hard to – slow down yeah which it actually makes goborn's performance all the more impressive but lsu i'm not quite fully in but i recognize that my preseason comments are going to be incorrect about the tigers they're not going to finish bottom half of the sec this year and probably neither is tennessee which i had been number seven uh, you know yeah. we, we missed stuff oh gosh <laughs> oh yeah incorrect predictions yes sue us <laughs> careful but i did have kentucky high so it's I'm, true. I'm feeling good about that. I don't even remember. I have to look at where I had them. We, we probably need to do the let's look back at our... That's next week. Next week, okay. Yes, that's on next week's docket. On the schedule. Yes, indeed. <laughs> okay, it's time for the FTCL Corner. We've got our nominees, as per usual. Now, I just want to be perfectly clear, because we're doing a Wednesday show that is being released on Thursday. These cut off after Monday's games. So I go from typically... Tuesday to Monday for these stats. So in some cases, it's Monday to whatever, depending on when we record the podcast. But uh, on a week like this, I went Tuesday to Monday. Okay. So with that in mind, mm-hmm. your stats and nominees. Marlena Bozick, George Mason, 8 of 13 with an RBI, three doubles, two walks, a strikeout, and four runs scored. Mackenzie Clark, Clemson, 9 of 16, Seven RBIs, two homers, two doubles, two walks, a strikeout, and five runs scored up at the leadoff spot. Our friend Jordan Johnson from Central Arkansas, Callie Hevlin, Summer League teammate. 13 innings, 11 hits, four runs, all earned, five walks, and 16 strikeouts, but got the complete game victory at Bogle Park against Arkansas, outdueling the reigning SEC Pitcher of the Year, Shanice Dells. Wow. Props to Jordan. Mm-hmm. Way to go. Maggie Purdy, Eastern Kentucky, 9 of 16, a popular stat mark, four RBIs, a homer, a triple, two doubles, and six runs scored. 
Macy McCall at Winthrop, four of 16, five RBIs, a home run, a double, a walk, three strikeouts, and two runs scored. You might be saying, Gray. It's not, I mean, that's, yeah. Four of 16? Yeah. What? A walk-off grand slam to defeat Cleveland State, seven to three over the weekend. Macy McCall got out the mustard and the rye bread. Man, she did indeed. <laughs> a victory for Winthrop in that game. Two more. Cora Bassett, Indiana, 8 of 16. Four RBIs, a homer, a triple, three doubles, seven walks. So that means, I, and I, I don't have other ways to reach base on here. She reached base last week at least 15 times. <laughs> two strikeouts and 10 runs scored. And finally, Mackenzie Wagner from North Texas. 18 innings, nine hits, three runs, two earned, seven walks, and 14 strikeouts. In game one, did her best Montana Fouts impersonation through all 11 innings, 169 pitches, 107 strikes. That was against Louisiana Tech, as I said, game one. But then came back and got a complete game victory over the Lady Texters in game three. So a really impressive list this week, Tom. Mm -hmm. I feel for you. Pick two finalists. And I I think... We'd be remiss without a begrudging tip of the cap to Kristana Angelopoulos and Link- Kate Linkletter. Kate Linkletter, excuse me. Who, yeah. uh, Linkletter made the game-ending catch smashing against the wall. How? In the corner against Alabama. I have no the idea. The human body no was idea not made to go made. through that trauma. Just ridiculous. And Angelopoulos had an RBI double in that game as well when Wisconsin beat the Crimson Tide. But I was much more happy to see these other ones. I am going to go... I feel the pitchers here this this week. Ooh! So I'm going to go Jordan Johnson from Central Arkansas and Mackenzie Wagner from North Texas as my two finalists. Those are phenomenal choices. Uh, I just want to say again, this was extremely difficult to limit to seven. I had a lot of people that deserved commendation on this list, but I'm going to shout out and select Jordan Johnson from Central Arkansas not just because of beating an SEC team, but beating Arkansas, your in-state foe, and the right. fire with which Jordan pitched. I mean, to, at Bogle. Yes, at Bogle, to watch that game, to see how much it meant to Jordan. And in post-game, she was talking about how close she had come throughout her career. She had been the losing pitcher in multiple one-run defeats to Arkansas throughout her career. To finally get the job done, and to put Central Arkansas in a position where they, they're going to be really dangerous this year. Right now, they're leading Oklahoma State one nothing. It's early, but this is a good Central Arkansas team led by Kayla Beaver and our friend Jordan Johnson, this week's FGCL Player of the Week in the Circle. Jordan, congrats on a historic win for your school, for you. It's an easy choice for me. Jordan Johnson's your Player of the Week. Boom. There we go. All right. Should we talk to another pitcher? Yeah. Okay, that sounds good. Why not? She's going to be here soon. Another another ho-hum pitcher. Yeah, she was fine. All right. Just an Olympian, an All-American, and now on your TV screens Mm -hmm. all the time. It's our friend Michelle Smith. Smitty is here. And when we come back, we will steal second and chat with our dear friend who will be in Tuscaloosa in just a few days. That's when we return here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Welcome 
Welcome back to this week's episode of the Out of the Box Podcast. Great Robertson and Tom Canterbury, as always. And we are so excited to steal second for the first time this year with our friend, the person who will very soon be in the room next to us this upcoming weekend at Rhodes Stadium, the legend from ESPN, the Seven Innings Podcast, the Olympian, the All-American from Oklahoma State. I could have eight bullet points of accolades for our guest today. It is the phenomenal Michelle Smith. Michelle, how are you? Hi, guys. I'm great. I'm excited to be here. Chat softball. It's all good. All good. Yes. It's the best time of the year. It really is. There's been so much happening. Yes. <laughs> oh, as we've talked about, it will continue to do so. Yeah. And I want to start, Michelle, with your alma mater, the Oklahoma State Cowgirls. The, the biggest series of the weekend last weekend was when Florida State went to Stillwater and played in three really phenomenal games. Game two got a little lopsided, but it was it was a pretty even series across the board. When looking specifically at Oklahoma State, what are your main takeaways from what you've seen this season from them and also specifically from this past weekend? Well, you know, I think Kenny Gajewski has done a great job, you know, since day one in Stillwater. He has put together a really good team uh, chemistry, you know, and I think this year, they've got a bunch of really good players, good people that are, are gelling, working hard together. Um, Kelly Maxwell is, you know, is, is outstanding. Ironically, you know, she lost uh, game one. Um, Florida state actually, uh, I, I thought they challenged her a, a lot, you know, seven base on balls in that game. I think that's maybe a career high in walks given up in a game. I mean, Kelly Maxwell typically just does not issue a lot of walks and she did in that game. Um, and then Lexi Kilfoyle, just outstanding. Um, yeah, you, they've got a great group of freshmen. Um, they're getting playing time for their younger uh, athletes. So, you know, I think they're just doing a lot of things well. Uh, they started out uh, strong down in Mexico. They had a really good Clearwater tournament. And, uh, you know, they got off uh, rolling in the right direction. And that always helps. You know, a confident team is always uh, usually a successful team. So, uh, you know, kudos to them and what they're doing, but I, I know they're working really hard in Stillwater. And with uh, with Oklahoma being still the the top dog everywhere that that you look, uh, how much do you think Oklahoma State or maybe somebody else in the Big Twelve, like a Texas, will have an opportunity to maybe challenge them in what is going to be Oklahoma's last year in the Big Twelve? Yeah, you know, I, I do think Texas and Oklahoma State will be able to challenge. Um, Oklahoma. And I think that's a good thing. I mean, that's what we want, right? We want parity in our sport. We don't want one team to continually just kick everybody's butt, um, you know, and we know the outcomes of the of the game. That's why I thought last night's game with Florida State and Oklahoma what was good. It was it was back and forth and, um, and it was a battle and it showed some vulnerabilities to uh, Oklahoma. Um, because we need that again, it, it's good for the sport. Nobody would watch major league baseball if they knew the Yankees were going to win every year or the Astros were going to win every year. You know, it's the same thing with the NBA. And I mean, a certain amount of um, stardom and a certain amount of success is really good, but we, we, I think in our sport, we have to be careful now, especially with the portal and NIL that the rich don't keep getting richer and, and everybody else is, is left behind. So, um, so I think the fact that, uh, that Oklahoma has shown a little bit of vulnerability is good. Jordy Ball has shown a little vulnerability. Alex Garocco, Florida State, got to her last night. I think those things are good for the game. Um, uh, you know, and then of course Oklahoma has all their usable suspects that can beat the ball out of the out of the yard. Um, so Patty Gasso, you know, always puts a really good club on the field. So uh, I, I do think though that the, the Big Twelve is intriguing to me because of the success of Texas. They are a scrappy team. You know, very talented. Oklahoma State. 
Um, you know, Baylor gave Oklahoma their first loss, ironically, in a non-conference game. So, yeah, it's good. I think it's, those things are good for the sport. Michelle, you have always been very honest with us when we have talked on this podcast about the Alabama Crimson Tide, the team that we cover, the team that we see uh, every game, and you see them a good bit too. You're on the call for most of our games, I feel like, in Clearwater. So as you've watched Alabama this year and as you prepare for a series with Arkansas that we're going to talk about in just a minute, what is your evaluation of what you have seen from the Crimson Tide the first month of the season? Um. You know, it's interesting this year because when you look at the roster, you know, Montana Fouts, um, Shipman, we could go on and on with the the talented athletes that they have. uh, But I feel like something's been missing a little bit, Um, just being able to really, you know, turn up the dial and and play with that intensity, that fire that you have to play with nowadays uh, because of the strength, the parity within our sport. Any mid-major that is, um, you know, that has a good pitcher there's a good chance that if they're throwing their ACE and, and you're, you're a power five and you're throwing your, your two, three or four pitcher, they could give you a run for their money. And we've, we've seen that a little bit. I think uh, specifically though, with, with Alabama is that um, I think a, maybe a little bit of the lack of passing bats, not really productive um, as productive of offense as I would like to see kind of trickles down into their inability to let a two, three or four pitcher throw more innings um, than what they've been able to and without having to come back and, and put in Montana, you know, who's kind of your fire stop, you know, that's, that's, you've, you've got her. She's great when she starts. She's great when uh, you have to bring her at times into relief. Although that there were a couple of times where maybe she wasn't ready and looked a little vulnerable. So I think for Alabama, it's just a matter of riding the ship, getting more runs up on the board. Um, and, and then defensively being a little cleaner behind their pitching staff, because when your pitchers are already a little vulnerable because your offense isn't putting as many runs up on the board, you feel squeezed. You feel like you can't make the mistake. And then what do you do? You do make the mistake. So, you know, I just feel like it's um, Alabama just needs to, to, to get a little bit more in rhythm. And I, I do think, though, it, it does start with their offense. If they can put some more runs up uh, on the board, I think it trickles down to their defense and their pitching. How much, because uh, one thing we have noticed is uh, the last few uh, few weeks is that Alabama defensively has been having those issues, like you talked about, the uh, errors, and they seem to kind of snowball at times. You have two or three in an inning. Um, what, what as a pitcher, what, what do you have to do in those type of situations when the defense is really struggling behind you? Yeah, that's always tough, you know, uh, and it's, and it unfortunately is part of the game. But, you know, for the type of pitcher that I was, I, you know, if I felt like, if my shortstop made an error, I would kind of say to myself, all right, I, I, I let that ball get hit too hard or I let that ball get hit in a spot where she couldn't get to. Because then I felt like if I took responsibility, I could change it, right? If you're busy pointing the finger at other people, you can't change anything. You lose control. Um, you know, I, I think the errors, though, that we've seen are, you know, it's a new Alabama infield. I mean, there are a lot of people in a lot of different places than there were last year. There's some youth. And again, I do feel like the pressure on the defense starts to mount when the offense isn't putting up the run. So then you get a little more nervous. You're back on your heels. You're not as reactionary um, as you should be. And, you know, and again, this is a game where you, you have to react. If you're thinking and you're worried about things, forget it. You're never going to be at your most elite level because of just the speed and the pace of play of the game. So, 
Uh, so I think there's a little bit of that. I think there's just, um, you know, a little bit too much in the head. And once you're in the head, it's, you know, like I like to say, you know, if you're thinking, you're stinking. So you can't, you can't think, you just got to react. <laughs> That's one so, of the many, many phrases that you've used over the years on seven innings or on game yeah. broadcasts. And I think another one that you always say is iron sharpens iron. And you yeah. can certainly look at that this weekend with Alabama and Arkansas. You've got a team that has been one of the powers in the SEC in Alabama versus a team that is a new power in the SEC in Arkansas, and both come in kind of struggling. Alabama 1-3 and in Austin. Arkansas has lost three in a row, including in run rule fashion last night to Wichita State. What do you feel like is the, if you can pick one, the singular key to this series this upcoming weekend in Tuscaloosa? Uh, I think it's going to be situational hitting. It's going to be capitalizing on opportunities when they arise. And there probably won't be a lot of opportunities unless, uh, you know, one of the defenses gives something away. But when you look at Shinistels and Montana Fouts, I mean, that's going to be a great matchup. Those are two SEC pitchers of the year that are going to be going up against each other. And how often can you say that? Because most of the times the SEC pitchers of the year are typically, you know, older junior, senior in their career or they graduate. So the fact that we're going to have two SEC pitchers of the year um, going against each other just shows the talent that they have been as youngsters. And even though now they, they are more mature as, as upperclassmen. So I do think it's going to be situational hitting. I think it's going to be, um, you know, when you're in that moment, being able to recognize it, not freak out, you know, but actually perform in it. Uh, and, and, and then on the flip side of that is going to be for the pitchers to be able to make the big pitch uh, in, in a situation, understanding the gravity, understanding what's going on around them. Because I think there have been a couple of times this year where um, uh, the pitching staffs should not have thrown the hitters that, you know, they, they had bases open or uh, had an opportunity to do things a little bit differently and didn't, and, and it came back to bite them. So I think it's just, you know, it's going to be all that awareness. But situational hitting to me is going to be the key. And this is a series. It's the first one in the conference for Alabama this year, the second one for Arkansas. It's really early in the conference schedule, but is this almost to the point of being an elimination series for the team that doesn't win? Um, I think it's going to be more important for um, for Arkansas. I mean, having lost their opening series at home to Texas A&M, you know, and I think Arkansas, you have to look what they're going through. I mean, if you read off just uh, who they lost yet last year with Katie Sides, Danielle Gibson, Lenny Malkin, uh, Hannah McEwen, Taylor Ellsworth, I mean, <laughs> those five names right there not to mention Mary half you know I mean it's just like when you start reading off this the amount of talent that they graduated out uh it, it's pretty phenomenal so you know maybe they were ranked a little bit higher than what uh, was justified um which is a respect thing so you know kudos to them but now it's the reality that we have to play up to that ranking and or so you think as a, as a, as a player right a lot of times you, you allow that pressure to be on you so I think for um for Arkansas um, it, it's absolutely important. This is Alabama's first series. I mean, it's always important to obviously win those series at home. And, you know, if you think over the last, what is it, 15 years, it's either been uh, Alabama or Florida and the last two years, Arkansas. So yeah, I, I do think head to head, this is going to make a big difference, but I, it's probably a little more important for Arkansas than it is Alabama. We might gravitate back towards Alabama, Arkansas in just a bit, but I want to move on as we still second with Michelle Smith to another team that could potentially just 
move everybody out of the way and win the SEC, and that's Tennessee. They look really strong after the first month of the year. We've been joking that they have the best pitching staff in the world, but they might actually have the best pitching staff in the world based on the numbers that they're putting up. What have you seen difference-wise from this Tennessee team compared to the last few uh, that we've seen up in Knoxville? Um, So I think for Tennessee – I just, I just think it's a team that finally is just, you know, together and they seem comfortable to me. Um, Ashley Rogers seems comfortable. She's got some help behind her. Uh, you know, I, th- I guess it was last week we were talking about their pitching staff and the, the kudos and the accolades. And, and we didn't even men- mention Ashley Rogers' name. And I was like, how crazy is this that we're, <laughs> we're talking about the pitching staff for Tennessee and we're, we're talking about no hitters and these amazing games and we didn't even it wasn't even about um, Ashley Rogers so I think the fact that she is healthy she's got some help takes a ton of pressure off of her and allows Ashley Rogers to be Ashley Rogers which is off the charts Kiki Malloy I think that she is probably going to be she's my favorite right now for um, not just SEC you know player of the year potentially but but even player of the year for USA softball I mean I just think that she has the opportunity to um to really to put on a show this year. Uh, so, you know, Karen Weekly, she just, uh, I think it was win number 1000, I think she just had earlier um, in, in the year. So, you know, she's just, she's just doing some great things. She's been around the game forever. And, um, you know, they had some great transfers come in. So I, I, again, I just feel like some of their holes that were opened last year, I think they plugged them very well and they've gotten great performance. And they're going to have to go on the road this week to go to Baton Rouge to take on an LSU team uh, that after having kind of a down year last year by their standards has really come on strong here this year to start things off. Uh, And they may have the offense that can handle that Tennessee pitching staff. Uh, What do you expect to see from the Vols and the Tigers in Baton Rouge this weekend? Well, I had LSU South Carolina this last weekend and LSU was so patient. I mean, they just, they were not swinging at first pitches. They were not swinging at first pitch strikes. They were working counts deep. Um, Taylor Ellsworth, excuse me, Taylor Pleasance is, um, looks like Taylor Pleasance again. You know, I think last year she struggled a little bit, maybe with the pressure of being named, you know, shortstop for, for USA softball, but she, you know, she was outstanding. I also think that now, I, I, I think that Georgia Clark could have hit better in this last series. Um, she struggled a little bit, but, uh, you know, she's protecting Pleasance. They're, they're outstanding. But when you look at Coffee and Briggs, they're both well over 400. And then you have the power of Pleasance, Clark, and Gutierrez is playing a great first base. She's protecting Clark. So they've come up with some really big hits at times. So, you know, this is an LSU team that is very talented, is very strong. They will be playing at home. Uh, that's always a big help. So I think this is a big challenge for Tennessee to be able to go into Baton Rouge to try to win that series. But I, I, trust me, we're, we're going to be uh, calling the games up in, in, in T-Town, and, and, <laughs> but we're going to be keeping our eye and our ear open for what's going on down below us in, in Baton Rouge. <laughs> oh, that's my job. As the, as the radio analyst, I will have the second screen at the ready. We will be <laughs> tracking all things LSU and Tennessee uh, as yeah. we chat with Michelle Smith. And uh, Michelle, I'm, I'm going to throw out the rundown and ask you something I didn't have written down. I want to know your thoughts on what South Carolina did this past weekend. Uh, I thought they would get swept. Tom correctly picked 
predict how that series would go. But in particular, I want to ask about the pitching strategy in game three. Not only was it pitch by committee, it seemed to be everybody gets an inning and figure out a way to get three outs. And if you can't, we'll throw somebody else in there. Is that something that yeah. you think can work in the modern college softball game? Yeah, absolutely. I do think it can work. And I think we've even seen that a little bit in Major League Baseball in previous years. You know, some of the things the Astros have done, the Rays, right? They, you know, by just, you know, kind of throwing, uh, you know, basically you're asking your pitchers, get me three outs or get me six outs, right? And, and then it doesn't seem as daunting as getting 21 outs, you know, or throwing 100 perfect pitches. And so for for young athletes that are, you know, probably shaking a little bit and nervous or going into their first SEC series or, you know, just SEC pl- play in general, it, it can be daunting for pitchers to be like, I got to go up against this really good, uh, you know, lineup and LSU. I mean, they're strong one through nine. They, they, they've got a great lineup. There's not a couple like get through these two hitters and then you've got a couple hitters off, you know, this is a long, deep lineup. And so I think, you know, if you look at game three, they started Rachel Vaughn, they went to Belly Bettenbaugh, <laughs> then they went to um, Carson Oaks, then they went to their freshman, Jory Hurd, and then they went to Donnie Goburn, who won game two earlier in the day. Um, so yeah, and, and then I think they went to Leah Powell. <laughs> so yes, they used all their arms in the bullpen, and trust me, my, my game card was a mess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> scribbling, uh, yeah, every time there's a, another, another change, but you know, sometimes I think coaches are, are learning in our sport where you don't just put in your starter and, and she's still throwing in the seventh inning. I think our our coaches are learning how to, uh, to to call the bullpen, you know, is it the righty, the lefty? And when do you make that switch? And you hear more and more coaches saying twice through the lineup that third time, it just it doesn't usually work well. And we, and we actually kind of saw that with, uh, with, with, with Jayla, right. When she started getting hit that third time through the lineup um, yesterday. So, you know, I think that those are things that coaches are starting to learn and, and also smarter on there's a base open, got to pitch around, maybe not intentionally walk, you know, cause you don't want to piss off the, the hitter behind, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you, you know, unintentionally intentionally walk somebody if you have a base open to go after someone else who might be a little more vulnerable. So I think all those things are, are starting to really play out in this collegiate game, just simply because the hitters are very good and the lineups are deep and long. Taking a look at what's going on out West. You got the big series in the PAC 12 this weekend with UCLA and Washington after UCLA lost the game to California, which was uh, monumental. It's been a long time since Cal has beaten UCLA in a single game. Um, what 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 have you seen so far from UCLA and and you know kind of a little bit up and down for them as well? So so here's my take on on that particular loss. And Taylor Tinsley, the freshman, they have a very good freshman uh, who had started that game, and she was doing very well. In fact, Kelly I, um, head coach Kelly Inouye Perez, said that Taylor uh, Tinsley is our future. Okay, so that's how good this kid is. So she gets the start. Um, and so let's go back to game one. Game one, they won four to nothing, but they left 12 runners on base in game one. They probably should have scored a lot more runs than just the four they put up. So Tinsley's pitching. In the top of the um, third inning, UCLA loads the bases. A couple of base hits, Brady walks. Then Palacios pops up the first base, and then um, uh, their freshman comes up and hits a ground ball to the pitcher. They turn Cal turns a, a one, two, three. So a, a pitcher to home to first double play to get out of the inning. So it's zero, zero bottom of the third inning. Tinsley goes out to pitch. She gives up a double 
to the first hitter, boom, she's immediately pulled and they bring in Megan um, Faramo. Uh, so to me, that was a quick hook. That's, I, I would probably not have pulled um, Tinsley in that particular situation, but I feel like the coaches feel the pressure that they can't lose a game they're not supposed to. So they pull the freshman, they put in the all-star All-American who probably isn't ready who proceeds to Cal bunt. So they bunt the, um, the runner at second over to third. And then Faramo proceeds to give up a, I believe it was a base hit, a double, another base hit. And then I believe it was a home run and gave up. She basically had all five runs scored against her, but the one, the double was, uh, you know, charged to Tinsley. And, and she, she basically threw a third of an inning. And then she was out. And then I think it was Shaw who came in and, and then they, you know, they give up the walk-off uh, in the bottom of the fifth and, and Cal wins the game. So I think that was a scenario that our offense isn't scoring. We panic and we pull our young pitchers. I, again, the kind of same scenario I talked about earlier with Alabama, the offense has to be cognizant that they, they need to be productive with those runners on base, you know, get that timely hit, the situational hitting is so, so important. But coaches, on the other hand as well, in order to develop those younger pitchers, those younger athletes, you've got to let them, you know, basically fry a little bit in that frying pan, you know, as soon as that pan gets hot, if you keep pulling them out, you know, they never cook, they never get done, you know, they never really reach their full maturity. So you know, it's hard. I wouldn't want to be a head coach in that decision making, you know, making those hard choices. As an analyst, it's easy for me to sit and say, oh, I wouldn't do that. I'd do this instead. Um, you know, it's my job. But um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a tough situation. So I think UCLA comes down to their offense and they put up big runs um, and they have a good pitching staff. They let them work. Um, they, they get it done. Now, I do have to and I'm sorry, this is very long winded. But uh, the, the, the winning pitcher of both games was Brooke Yanez. It wasn't even Megan Fremo. So it makes you wonder, is Megan Fremo healthy? What's going on? I haven't heard anything. Um, even if she wasn't healthy, we probably wouldn't hear. But, um, but yeah, I thought that was interesting that Brooke Yanez got both the wins in game one and three. I can't help but chuckle a little bit when you say if she's not healthy, we still wouldn't know. That's true. That's very that, true. That, yeah. that is sometimes how the sport gets. She, she didn't show up at the yeah. World Series one year, and we didn't know why. So just had to yeah, wait and figure it, it out. <laughs> you know, you've referenced a couple of trends that we've seen this year, and I think you could throw Florida State into that conversation as well. We saw in Clearwater, especially Catherine Sandercock, come on and relief a good bit uh, in situations where things got dicey. Uh, are there any other trends that you've seen here one month in that that catch your eye? Uh, I think in particular, at least for us, I feel like we've seen runner leaving early calls way more than we ever have in the first five weeks of the year. Is, is there anything for you that's caught your eye? Um, yeah, there have been a lot of runners leaving early being caught. So, yeah, and, you know, every year the umpires tend to focus a little bit more on one one thing, one or another. And a lot of that has to do with the coaches, you know, complaining usually in the off season and saying, hey, can we make this a priority to pay attention to this? Um, I, I do feel like sometimes the um, – and, again, it, it could just be the pitchers, but I feel like sometimes pitches on the outside corner aren't always getting called. Um, you know, it, but – I don't know that I recognize a whole a whole bunch of others other than I, I would say the biggest trend would be that the, there's a lot of really good uh, ace pitchers and mid majors that, uh, you know, look at Texas State with Jessica Mullins, what they do, you know, they've got an ace. And when they're throwing that ace against a power fives, two, three or four, it's it, it, 
the game's up for grabs, you know, and, and again, that again is good. It's parody. It's, you know, growth of the game and, and opportunities for young women outside of those power five conference teams. Um, so, you know, it's exciting, but I, I definitely would say that it, when you start looking at the mid majors, I think that, and we saw it last year as well, and maybe it wasn't always the mid major that, that bumped off the uh, higher ranked team. It, it may have just been lower ranked teams, but I do feel like uh, in the postseason there's potential to see some upsets. You know, when you look at Wichita state, Texas state, uh, I mean, it could go on and on about some of these, these I, I wouldn't call uh, Louisiana a, uh, you know, a mid-major, but classic, you know, classic categorization mm -hmm. they are, um, you, you know, there's just some, some really good programs out there that, that can do damage when it comes to regional time. And we're just coming off of Gray Night. Last night we were in Florence, Alabama with Alabama, play, taking on North Alabama at the Florence Sportsplex. And the announced crowd was over 4,000 people there. Uh, and this was, uh, and the previous weekend we were in Texas and they had their lar largest crowd ever for the Alabama Texas game. And it was under 2000, it was 1900, but it was, it was still under 2000. Um, ask about facilities and how, you know, when, when we're expanding or, or renovating or building new facilities, how important do you think it is now for people to understand you're going to get a lot of people to come out to watch these games um, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of these new stadiums that are built and they'll only hold like 1500 where, you know, if they doubled that size, they could probably sell those out at a lot of the, the major, uh, places. Yeah, absolutely. You guys are like, you know, you are, my heart is singing right now that we're even talking about this because I have been on this, I've been on this, I don't want to know, say it's a battle, but I've been on this bandwagon for a good four to five years, um, trying to get the city of Clearwater and Pinellas County to build a stadium um and it, and it, it's not at all for the espn event it's because the sport deserves it and our pinellas county softball is the number one revenue generator um heads and bed sales tax for sports tourism so our women deserve it we're playing softball elite softball on fields that i trained on 25 years ago for the 1996 atlanta olympics every other sport right so women can play in men's facilities, basketball, whether or not you're a swimmer, track and field, soccer, or whatever, right? They can play in these great facilities that we're building for men's sports. Well, with softball, we can't play in men's professional stadiums, right? And when you start looking at the not just hundreds of millions, but billions of dollars that our communities, which is government money, that we're spending on men's professional stadiums, someone needs to raise a flag and say, we need to spend some of that money on stadiums for women, because guess what? People will come out and watch them. People, we will, we can get four, five, 6,000 people at a game that wanna come out and watch it. So we need a facility that is good enough to be able to have that sort of environment. So I've been really trying to get communities to pay attention that there is an opportunity to build facilities for the game of fast pitch softball that is then an asset for the local community that their young girls, young boys can play, right? Um, some of the, the little league games in or slow pitch or fast pitch softball for men. There's also, and it's a gem. It's like, it's an asset for the community, not just for, uh, you know, a collegiate softball game or how about international softball? I mean, we could go on and on and talk about this, but the fact is, is that there is a disparity and, and somebody needs to stand up for it. If someone doesn't stand up for it and start talking about it, then it's never going to change. And 25 years from now, 
we're going to have elite athletes playing on these same old fields. And it's, to me, it's just, it's kind of, you know, criminal. We need to be better. Uh, and we just need to just need to raise a little bit of attention so that people start to pay attention um, to, to build some better facilities for, for our sport. And to your point, you know, you are talking about this a couple of weeks ago on the seven innings podcast about what would a world series look like away from OKC. The reason that's not even a conversation is because there's nowhere else to go. Yeah. Right. Mean, maybe the Hoover met if we move the sec baseball tournament, that's kind of it. Okay. So, but then here's the problem. Yes, you're right. The Hoover met, but then what is that? That's a baseball facility. It goes back to being a baseball facility. It doesn't help softball. We need to build softball facilities, you know, and, and, and I agree with you hundred percent. It would be outstanding if it was there, but again, it would go right back to being a baseball facility and having baseball events. And so we would, as a softball community, we would be shorted yet again, a facility that could be used full-time for a sport. And I know it would be busy, you know, and granted it also, you know, depends on where you're located, obviously in some of the Sunbelt areas, it makes a lot of sense because down here in Florida, you can play softball year round. So maybe it makes a little bit more sense for a community, but there still are plenty of facilities or communities, I should say, that could build facilities like, you know, the Met um, where it could be used a significant amount of time uh, for the sport of fast pitch softball. I love the passion from our friend Michelle Woo! Smith. And we know yeah. we know we're gonna get passionate <laughs> answers from the great Michelle Smith from that, ESPN. That that question wasn't on the rundown, but I was like, I, I need to ask that, yes. you know, coming off of Clearwater and then what awesome. we just what we just saw yesterday in Florence. It was amazing just to see that many people yes. there. And you know, the fact that North Alabama had to move that game from their normal facility to yep. that because they were expecting that many people, uh, it was amazing. I I love it. I love it. And so here, here's another one just to, to stew on a little bit since we're talking about, you know, SEC country as well, is the city of Nashville is going to build and looking to build a stadium for the Titans, right? That the, the, the final tally on that is over $2 billion, with a B, $2 billion. I've been trying to get Vanderbilt, right? I keep tweeting at them all the time, like, why don't you have softball? Well, but guess what? These, there's no room. There's no room to build a stadium. Well, guess what, city of Nashville? If you can spend two B with a billion, two billion dollars on an NFL stadium that only men can play in, you can find some land and you can give some government money, of which that two billion dollars over half of it was going to be government money. Again, building a facility that only men will play in is going to go, you know, mm -hmm. to men. You there. I think the point is, is that just raise awareness, right? Someone needs to say, hey, this is great that you're going to build this, but hey, what, what about us? Here's our little sport. If you even just spent 2% of that money, think of the amazing softball stadium that could be built in the city of Nashville. Vanderbilt could have their softball team and everyone would be really happy because we could go to Nashville for an SEC tournament. <laughs> right. We've been That's, begging yes. for that for years. Yeah. We're like Murph, schedule Belmont. Make right. let us go to Nashville. Yes. Uh, it'd be it'd be the perfect because yeah, we'd host not only Nashville or not only Vanderbilt, it would host the SEC tournament. Uh it would host all these other tournaments. It'd be one of those destination yeah. tournaments that people would go right. to. And so it's not like we're we're asking people to build these things and operate at a loss. It it no. would be it would it would make money. Right. It, it, and, it would and, and it like, makes sense. A hundred percent. And we're not asking not to spend that money, um, obviously, if it makes sense on these other sports. Absolutely. But let's be forward thinking. Let's be progressive thinking and say, where else is there a need? Well, I can raise my hand and say there is a large need for our sport 
to have facilities throughout the country. I mean, I, I could probably name off 10 communities where it would be a massive moneymaker and, and sports tourism generator for the communities. And, and a part of I know that is because I ran a couple of small hotels and I understand the heads and bed tax and how all that works and how that generates revenue, not just for the communities, but for the local businesses. And, and you know, it just it, it's a huge part of it. And I think that, again, we just have to be progressive and forward thinking to get stuff done for our, for for women. Amen. Absolutely. And Boom. you know what? Yes. I, first of all, also, side note, I think Vanderbilt could be really good at softball, like immediately. Like if yes. Happen. It'd be a Duke Clemson yeah, situation I, real quick. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, yes. Amen to everything you just said. The whole thing, it just makes too much sense, which is probably why it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can tell you one thing, Michelle. You are not going to have to have any concerns about people showing up this weekend at Tuscaloosa. Those three games for Alabama, Arkansas have been sold out for a while now. It's going to be Ali Shipman Senior Day. It's going to be a great series. We are so excited to see you this weekend. Uh, do you have any restaurants that you want us to pick food up for you from, or uh, what are you excited to hit up in T Town? Um, well, you know, I always love the bread pudding from um, uh, what's the Italian restaurant? De, uh, De Palmas. De Palmas. Yeah. De Palmas. Yes. Almost yes, yes. Oh my goodness. Um, but yeah, we were talking with Coach Murphy on on our, uh, our our call today, and he was giving us some really good ideas. Um, what's the steakhouse too? Just up from the uh, Hotel Indigo. Um, there's a chop the chop house. Yeah, our Davidson chop house. Oh uh, uh, yes, yeah. I believe that. Okay. Is it. Yeah. So uh, and then there's five, and then um, the uh, what's the uh, the fish? Uh, Chucks. Chucks. Chucks fish. Yeah. Yes. 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 So, yeah, so yeah, I'm now my stomach is, you know, <laughs> you'll eat well. <laughs> we got you covered. Michelle Smith, thank you so much for stealing second with us here on the Out of the Box podcast. I am, again, so excited to see you in a couple of days. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. I always appreciate your uh, enthusiasm and all you do for the sport of softball as well. So, thank you. All right. So, that was our friend Michelle Smith. And, whew, got, got her a little fired up. I love that. Yes. Like, that was. That, you know, we were asked a couple of weeks ago, last week, I can't remember, time is not a thing. Right. Uh, On the 100th episode of Travaganza? It was, you know, oh. we were doing an interview with Ashley Woods, oh, and she okay. was asking okay. us about, like, memorable moments, a memorable guest. I have a feeling I'm going to remember that interview for a long time, and we'll further dissect it in a bit when we round third, but I, I just I just wanted to say thank you to Michelle, and, you know, she's saying we need people to step up. Right now, she is being that person. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and... Uh, you know, we have what has be, you know, been shown to be a very viable product, something that is going to be a moneymaker for everybody involved and the players deserve and the people covering the game and everybody else, uh, the fans especially deserve the facilities that will, you know, be up to those standards. And we'll dig more into it in just a moment when we round third. When we come back, we will further talk about what Michelle Smith said. Also, the amuse-bouche. Mm. What would be on our menu for the Masters Champions dinner if we were crafting it? We don't have to do the end of the movie, the menu, do we? No, we don't. Okay, good. I mean, we can. No. They'll make anything for you. <laughs> no, no, thank you. I will keep the mess off. <laughs> I like s'mores, not so much anymore. That's next when we round third here on the Out of the Box podcast.
Welcome back. It's time to round third. Before we talk food with Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson. I'm always I'm always here for food. That's true. Sure. Uh, we'll do the amuse bouche and what's ahead this weekend in just a sec. But I wanted to further expand upon what Michelle Smith said because right after we did that interview, we sat in the living room for a minute while things were uploading and talked more about it. And I, I first want to commend Michelle for the energy with which she is attacking this. Uh, and I think she's right. Like we, we all need to try and do more to just raise awareness that these facilities don't exist specifically right. for softball. And I loved everything that she said. I, I, I think it's, I think it's honestly fair to put Nashville on blast for not making a Vanderbilt softball team happen for not, uh, for, I just, I think that there are a lot of places where the facility could exist and for one reason or another does not at this point. Right. Yeah. And it's just, you have to, you just kind of have to move past the thought of, because I think there is still, and it's a wrong thought, but I think there's still a thought of a lot of people that are making the money making decisions that a women's sport is not going to bring in the money that a men's sport does because you know they'll look at well look at the attendance for the nba as opposed to wmba or you know they'll have all these analogies that have basically we've moved past yeah and i think and like what michelle was saying softball is a different animal it can't you can't just put it in with other sports because you have to build facilities that are specific to softball you can't play i mean you can but it doesn't fit when you play in in, a, in a baseball stadium, it's I mean the Hoover Met was a very specific exception right. because they turned it into a softball stadium. Exactly. I I gotta say when I watch pro games, like when I saw Montana pitch with one of the college teams a couple years ago, uh, and she was throwing on like a strip of mm -hmm. rubber circle, whatever that that it looks right. awful. Right. It um, does. The Olympics is best. You know, two two years ago in Japan, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it was not it was not good. Uh, but then you know we we go to these places, we go to Clearwater, and like people are literally sitting underneath the bleachers to be able to be able to see because there's so many people in there, but there's not the facility uh, to accommodate it. I make the analogy. I think that it's you know you're serving filet mignon on a paper plate at Clearwater because you have all these great high level games, national championship level games. And there are people that are there to see it. You know, if they, yeah. if there was people fly in from everywhere yes. to come watch these games. Right. Uh, but there's just not enough room for everybody. And, and like Michelle said, there's been zero noticeable um, accommodations or improvements in 20 some odd years since she was there. So it's, it's very frustrating that we have this product that, there are just not the facilities that can accommodate how popular the sport is, you know, outside of, like you said, the reason why the World Series is in Oklahoma City and there's no no real chance of it moving out of there is because it's the only stadium that can accommodate. Yeah. So if but if in if Nashville, if they decided, let's take you know a couple million dollars from that two point something billion that we're giving for the football stadium, which I understand, like Michelle said, we don't want them to not spend the money there. Because that's obviously going to make a lot of money for the city of Nashville. A world, I mean, a Super Bowl is going to be there. A WrestleMania is going to be there. They're going to do a lot of stuff outside of just the Tennessee Titans Absolutely. playing there. There's, you know, there's probably going to be the college football national championships probably going to be there. There, there could be an SEC championship discussion at some point. Sure, yeah. yeah. So I mean, I, I think that 
it that's and so that's why they're willing to spend that much money if you spend just a small percentage of that to build a facility that can handle you know high level college softball you're going to make a lot of money there too yeah you're going to get a great return on that investment probably as much if not more than what you're making on that uh on that football facility couldn't agree more and uh, this is something that i am going to be interested to continue to track do any cities jump on board do they see the attendance records at Clearwater and at the Mary Nutter and at, and at heck the Florence the Florence like, Sports we were at the Florence Sportsplex I mean, last night and there were over four thousand people there absurd and it and it was Alabama and North Alabama imagine if Alabama played UCLA at mm. the Florence Sportsplex how many people would be there so I mean that's I mean that's you you got to understand that you can this is a product that is going to make you a lot of money. If yeah. you build that facility and and to I think your original point when you asked the question as well, the the schools need to recognize that too. Right. You know, Bogle Park is a great environment. There's a reason you had children sitting on roofs at watching Super Regionals last year. Yeah. Put more seats in. Yeah. I, I'm going to be honest. Alabama Rhodes needs more seats. And it's it the does. Biggest. And it's the biggest by by far. Yes. Like this is a this is a problem everywhere yeah not just at neutral sites but also on campus right yeah texas just set an attendance record and that attendance record was half of what the normal capacity is at road stadium that stadium and do we think less people are going to texas games once they're in the sec oh there's yeah there could be a lot more i mean it was interesting that event staff person said are are there other stadiums as nice as this in the in the sec and i was like yeah mostly (laughs) yeah for the most part that this would be in you know honestly in the bottom half probably and and it was it was fine it was nice but it needs to be bigger they all like south carolina stadium they built this great new stadium it's one of the best facilities in the conference it seats 1200 people so you know when if if they're able to get it turned around and they're competing in for the sec and oklahoma comes in there they should be able to seat 5000 people are going to show up yeah roads should be like the minimum what Rhodes has right, right now should yeah. be the men. If if there was as many seats at Rhodes Stadium as there are at the Women's College World Series during the World Series, they bring in they bring in you know the outfields. That's not an, an, you're talking outside. main concourse. Main concourse. Yeah, it was. We would still have a waiting list for the for the season tickets. Yeah, yeah. There there's needs. Everything needs to be bigger. I agree. And there's nothing that we can do about it. But I hope that no. the people listening, somebody out there, has some pull. Yeah. And we can make this happen. If you build it, they will come. Yes, indeed. Okay. You don't even have to tear down your corn or anything. <laughs> well, oh, nice segue to food. Mm. Mentioning corn. It all it all comes together. Which, of course, was such a big theme last week. It's time for the amuse-bouche. I'm, I'm not making fun of Tennessee anymore. Not anymore. No. They have, they have earned <laughs> a pass. So... The news that hit today was Scotty Scheffler's menu for his Masters Champions Dinner, which is, first of all, the dream. Like, yeah. if I had to pick a meal to attend, it would be the Masters Champions Dinner. That no. would be, there's nothing else that would be close. Mm-hmm. His menu was cheeseburger sliders, firecracker shrimp, tortilla soup, a Texas ribeye steak or blackened redfish, and a warm chocolate chip skillet cookie. Mm. with milk and cookies ice cream 
Although I feel for you if you decide to take the redfish over the steak. I mean, come on. I don't know. Redfish is good. I mean, I'm not nothing against redfish, but a Texas ribeye. I look. I am sitting next to a friend, and we're ordering one of each and, and sharing. That's okay. what I'm doing with okay. my good friend Jordan Speed. <laughs> right. We will sit there <laughs> Just, and split it up. JT and I will decide what we're gonna have. It'll be great. <laughs> that got us thinking. What would be our items for our master's dinner if we were crafting the menu Ooh. so no ray finds here we are just doing Good. it ourselves yes so here we go we've got i'm following the menu structure two appetizers a soup or salad and a main entree but there have to be options so basically two main entrees okay and then of course a dessert so let's start with the appetizers I'm going to go a little bit of the non-bougie, and I just want some cheese sticks. I want some mozzarella wow. cheese sticks. With, with of course, marinara. Oh, no, yes. of course. Okay. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Yes, yes. These are very specific. These are very specific as well. Um, and then I would also, I wouldn't do firecracker. I would just do the regular shrimp that you can just dip, oh. dip in cocktail sauce. Ooh. Similar to the shrimp that we had at the Red Barn. Ah, yes. Very good, which mm -hmm. will come up very yes. soon, by uh -huh. the way. My appetizers, uh, I'm going to play to my strengths. We're starting with the crab cake, and I, I want my chef to create a fun sauce to circle around it that you can drag the crab cake through and then eat mm. with a little garnish here and there. I want mostly crab. I don't need all of the excessiveness mm. that can sometimes come in some crab cakes. These bad boys are coming straight from the ocean to the master's dinner. That is my first appetizer. Okay. My second appetizer. All right. So I'm, I'm going to kind of do a little seafood theme. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to go with the bacon wrap scallops mm. from, from Tampa. From the Columbia. At the Columbia. Yes. yes. I had uh, considered those. A perfect app. Truly. Mm. Yeah. Because it's like you can eat as many as you want, but also there is a clear stopping point because it is a very quick eating process. Yeah. And the the way it is served makes it ideal um, but also of course it's delicious so those are my two appetizers okay okay Sounds tom good. your super salad um i would do a, a salad option of either just a regular caesar salad which is you know if you get the right type of caesar dressing it can't beat one of those or you know just a regular toss salad with the greens and the ranch dressing and mm. maybe even some petite shrimp maybe put oh, on the, petite, the little petite, petite shrimp. shrimp yes that can go on there you know, I'm, I'm a pretty simple guy as far as those go. I like that. I'll go with a salad as well. Uh, I recently got on a burrata kick. Have you ever had burrata cheese? It's a type of mozzarella where it's got like uh, runny sounds gross, but it's right. like, you yeah. know what I'm talking about? I, it's I, the yeah. mozzarella inside the hardened mozzarella. Sure. Yes. And yes. burrata salads to me, Emily Pitek sent me a picture of one that she had in Chicago just hmm. impeccable yeah with a little balsamic vinaigrette and some leafiness and some croutons and a burrata salad would be my choice if i had to do a soup i would do either a clam or mm. fish chowder of some oh, sort I was, I was thinking a she crab soup as well yeah. um but i already had the crab app so i'm trying right. not yes. to over crab everyone so if <laughs> If somebody doesn't doesn't like the seafood or the crab, they would be interested. Sergio's already crabby enough. I mean, <laughs> oh, that's need... true. Thank you. All, All right. right, your main entree. Multiple shots at Sergio Garcia. That is what we do. Yes. <laughs> wow. You're... All right, so two entree choices. Uh, I would do a steak as well, the New York strip. 
the Cattlemen's from Oklahoma City, Ooh. New York strip. Okay. All right. So that's your. All right. We'll we'll go back and forth. Yeah. My first entree. I'm also going steak, but I'm going with a filet mignon, uh, specifically bacon wrapped. And I their New York butcher shop in in Vestavia has the steaks that I love to get. But honestly, I would trust. Against the national to find the right sure. cut of beef yes. for my fillet that is bacon wrapped. Okay, and I want it served with uh, a nice mashed potato, probably some potato. asparagus as well. Yeah, um, you know the the usual steak fare. Yes. Uh, so my second secondary would be a pork chop, uh, mm. like a a crock pot pork chop that's been cooking for at least eight hours in with the cream of chicken soup and maybe even the potatoes in there in the crock pot with it but definitely served with the potatoes you have the gravy and the pork chop served over the mashed potatoes um, and with green beans or something to that effect that's very nice Mm -hmm. i hope you win the masters yes i'm not sure which one i'm taking out of those two because i do love a good steak well all right so here's my number two uh it is a I'm, i'm envisioning it clearly a very specific meal that my mom made during covid uh it is lobster with this rice it's she calls it french onion rice it's french onion soup with rice and it's all baked together it is i don't know how to describe perfection i would just give you a plate of this rice have this have this rice with with some very good rolls and some green beans and just a meal like that yeah Uh, it doesn't have to specifically be that plate it would also kind of fall along with the surf and turf ish theme a little lobster with this rice but uh, i i want to get that rice incorporated in, into the dish and i like the pairing with the lobster as well sounds good so yeah there we go i Either mean one of those this yeah. is this I, was such a horrible idea before i ate dinner i i would take all of these uh-huh yeah dessert uh dessert we're getting the uh, oreo cheesecake from the last resort oh <laughs> we're shipping it in it's not a long trip i wonder if that's ever happened Come Do you think in. somebody's ever gotten the cheesecake for? The, I mean, there are people from Georgia yeah. who have won. Bubba Watson. Like, I would. Th- I I have a good feeling Bubba Watson had mozzarella sticks and <laughs> the cheesesteak and, and and the cheesecake. I really think that happened. That would make sense. Yes, but yes, that that is what I'm doing. I I am easy. Uh, ever since I was a wee lad, I would order the same thing at every restaurant when it came to the dessert time. And there was a time when I even had rankings for this dessert. I'm getting a molten chocolate lava cake. Mm. I want the chocolate sauce cascading out of the opening. I, if we want to throw a little dollop of vanilla ice cream on there as well, dealer's choice. Your sure. mileage may vary on what you want around the chocolate cake, mm-hmm. but that is the important part, the molten chocolate lava cake. A perfect capper to my Masters Champions dinner. I think we just put together two worthy options. I'm very happy with either one of those. When do they eat the the Champions lunch or Champions dinner? Is it Tuesday night? I think it's it's either the or Monday Wednesday or night. Tuesday night okay. before. I was going to say Wednesday yeah. night would be. I hope it's not Wednesday night because I would not play well no, on Thursday. It'd be tough tough <laughs> to make the cut <laughs> because I would not be able to hardly move. I would have eaten so much. I feel the same way. But so I, yeah. if there are any professional golfers out there who are out of the boxers, mm. give us a call <laughs> and then bring us a to-go box. Right. 
let us in on what's happening because I, I want to know what Scotty's style is for those cheeseburger sliders. Okay, let's look ahead at some non-SEC mm. play games coming up in week six. Softball. Softball, okay, I know. Yeah, yes. I, apologies for the food detour, but it was important. <laughs> it was, the on. Masters is coming up soon. <laughs> okay, what's happening tonight? Well, we've talked about it. I mean, right now Central Arkansas leads Oklahoma State 3-0. As you're listening to this, the game is over. But So I don't know how it plays out, but... I mean, we're seeing some fascinating results come through tonight. I mean, just now, Baylor has fallen to South Dakota State 5-2 to continue the Bears' slide. Florida beat Bucknell. Uh, LSU leads SLU, right. not SELA. You know, Wednesday slate, pretty solid. Maybe Oklahoma State will learn what most of us in the SEC have learned. Stop scheduling Central Arkansas. Central Arkansas is legit, and I would be horrified if on selection sunday i was a host and i saw central arkansas pop up as my two yeah, seat. do not want horrified zero out of ten would not recommend i mean would be awful yes all right as per usual tom we'll pick a game for each day we'll start with friday please well we saw um virginia tech last week lost to north carolina in one of those games and now they are playing at georgia tech this next weekend in acc play uh georgia tech we got to win over Auburn. We'll see what they're able to continue. So I think that's an interesting three-game series with uh, the Hokies going to Atlanta. I'm looking at Friday's Northwestern games. You've got Auburn and you've got Oklahoma in OKC. Northwestern has been as up and down a team as you can imagine. Barely in some rankings, not in D1. They have been out of my poll for a couple weeks. But Danielle Williams is starting to pitch a little bit better. So can she shut down Auburn or can she get redemption for getting blasted by OU at the World Series last year? I don't know. We'll see. I think this is a really good litmus test to figure out where Northwestern is nationally right now against an Auburn team that is probably mid to slightly top tier SEC and then Oklahoma, who's clearly the best team in the country right now. Right. Yeah. All right. Saturday, Tom. Well, the first one that I see is in Tampa, and it's mm. Lehigh against Texas. Oh, no, common opponents. <laughs> the common opponents taking on each other. Lehigh, you know, has, has not fallen too far, uh, but they've had a couple of losses since they beat Alabama the first game of the regular season, uh, taking on a Texas team that also lost to Texas State this past weekend during the Bevo Classic. So uh, they're, they're a little bit up and down, too. So we'll see uh, if Lehigh can maybe pull off another staggering upset. How can we go this far without mentioning Washington UCLA? I'm mm. going to shout them out for Saturday. Yes, it's a three-game series, but specifically on Saturday, I mean, Washington just fought through an insane battle with Oregon. Like, every time I pulled up that box score, I was like, oh, my gosh, somebody scored four more runs. Yeah. That is probably not how the UCLA series is going to go, but you just heard Michelle's points how is Megan Faramo health-wise? Is Brooke Yanez the number one on that pitching staff right now? All interesting questions, and I think we might get a little bit of clarity with that home series this weekend against a good Washington team. Yeah, if you know UCLA dropped a game to Cal, they might be in a situation where they need to sweep Washington at home uh, to keep where you know keep it where they are expected to be in the Pac-12. Yeah, Sunday. Michigan is at Kentucky. Fascinating. Very interesting. You know, is is Schoonover going to continue to to be dialed in so much? You know, also Aaron Koffel was like 
great offensively. Yeah. Uh, you know, won all the awards offensively. Uh, Kayla Kowalik, you know, so that, it is a interesting matchup on the, you know, the bye week for Kentucky in the conference to host, you know, Michigan as part of that tournament in, in Lexington. I am increasingly curious in Michigan. They're only a game over 500 right now. They're better than that. Right. But they played quite the schedule. Yeah. I, they also haven't played in a while because they've had some weather issues. Shocker. Mm-hmm. In some of their non-conference tournaments. Uh, all right. Sunday, I'll cover the other Pac-12 one. Stanford at Oregon. I mean, we just talked about the craziness in Seattle between the Ducks and the Huskies. Now a Stanford team that is, as we looked uh, the other day, number two in the RPI and gaining more traction nationally. Uh, going to Eugene to take on an Oregon team that that feels honestly like a total wild card. I have no clue whether Oregon is like really, really good or just a bad team who has great performances. And I think that this weekend could be a really stiff test for Stanford, but also could provide the clarity that some of us are needing in regards to the overall quality of Oregon. Yeah, Oregon could be looking at this saying, well, everyone's talking about Stanford, but maybe, you know, if we win this series, we're the ones that have an opportunity to, to contend with UCLA for the Pac-12. Right. It's an interesting statement weekend in the Pac-12 with those two series, Washington, UCLA, and Stanford, Oregon. That's what's coming up this weekend. Are you ready to dive into the place where it just means more mm, and make yes. picks for said such places? Shrug. Mm, head tilt. When we come back, we'll head home. SEC picks. Tom's hungry from Austin and, of course, off the wall because, you know what? I know people who are making comments now, and I promised to mention on the pod, so here we go. That's when we come back here on the Out of the Box Podcast. episode of the Out of the Box Podcast. Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury here. It's time to head home. We have covered so much. We've talked to Alabama. We've looked at the SEC. We've hung out with Smitty virtually. We'll do that in person this weekend. We have already done some food stuff. Yes. We are who we are. <laughs> this this is what you knew you were getting when you downloaded the pod. If only there were show notes. Oh, wait, there are. Yes. And that's why there are segments and timestamps. If you're not interested in food, then you're probably here to hear our SEC picks. And here we are. As we head home. And we both got two right. We both picked Tennessee sweep correctly. You had LSU 2-1. I had Georgia 2-1. Two out of five. Not the worst we've ever done. No, yeah. I mean, I'll for the first weekend especially, I'll, I'll, I'll take two. As we try and figure out what the heck is going on, <laughs> it's not bad. Right. We'll see how we do with another go-round, Tom. I'm first again as the reigning champion and ties go to the winner Uh which sucks because i don't want to go first (laughs) we'll start with missouri at florida this is weird my feelings on florida have been as mixed as all heck and the only reason as i detailed on my d1 softball podcast why they're number 10 in our poll why they're number 10 top 10 in my ballot is because other people lost not because florida did anything they beat Louisiana, but a lot of teams have. They also lost to Louisiana. But Missouri, I, I mean, there's no rhyme or reason here. I'm going to take Florida 2-1. I don't love it. And I think that this has a higher sweepability than it does Missouri wins this series. 
it sounds kind of counterintuitive. I think had Missouri not been swept last week, I might be more inclined to pick them to be swept this week. It's fair. I don't see them going 0-6, though, to start off the conference slate. Uh, so I am going to also pick a 2-1 Florida victory. Okay, so we're on the same page. Yeah. Because of Florida's questions, it's hard for me to pick anything with a lot of confidence here. Yeah. I feel like I'm starting to figure out who Missouri is. And it's not It's not. It's the not best. great. It's not the best. They no. still have time to figure it out. Yeah. But South Carolina at Mississippi State. Am- Do we live in a world Yes. where South Carolina is favored to win this series? I think so. On the road at Mississippi State? I'm going to take South Carolina 2-1. Dumb? Maybe. <laughs> but the pitch by committee thing and Donnie Goburn it made them competitive against LSU. Donnie Goborn got them the win against the Tigers in game two. If they can beat LSU once, they can certainly beat Mississippi State twice. I will credit the Bulldogs, and we didn't talk about it earlier, for a pretty hard-fought weekend against Oklahoma. Forced them to go full seven twice. And if not for a couple bad innings here and there, these games have been really tight. But, man, Mississippi State got one hit by North Dakota State. Like It's hard for me to have a ton of confidence in the Bulldogs right now. Uh, I think that they're still a quality team that maybe just be might be scuffling a bit at the moment. And I think South Carolina's got some positive juice even yeah. after a series loss. So I'm taking the Gamecocks. If this series was in Columbia, I would be with you. But I, I, I still I will have to see it before it happens, before I pick it for me to pick South Carolina to win a series on the road. I'm going to say Mississippi State wins 2-1. Uh, also, I think Mississippi State kind of has that thing going to where once you kind of give up on them, that's when they win some games true. that you're not expecting them to. Uh, so I think that's kind of the situation here this weekend. Textbook example, 2021, mm. 2022. I yes. mean, yeah, we have lots of evidence. They're Tennessee to LSU. Is this the wow. best series of the weekend? Certainly seems that way. I mean, everything in my heart says Tennessee is a better team than LSU. But I also have seen better teams in LSU go to Baton Rouge and lose bafflingly. I've also seen LSU find ways to lose bafflingly no matter where they're playing. I'm going to take Tennessee 2-1 because I do think the pitching staff is that good. But would an LSU series win shock me? Not in the slightest. I'm feeling kind of the same way. I'm also going to take Tennessee 2-1. This is going to be interesting to see, though, if the pitching staff that has established themselves as one of the best in the country with Tennessee, if they're able, does it travel? Does it go not just on the road in a neutral site situation? Does it travel on the road in a hostile situation like LSU? And I think LSU offensively is, has really figured it out. I just don't know if they have the pitching to be able to win the series against Tennessee with as much as they have offensively. So, uh, But I think it's going to be enough to at least win one. So, But I, I think Tennessee wins the series and really makes that Alabama-Tennessee series the next week just massive for the Crimson Tide. Another one that has taken on a different level of intrigue in the last week and a half is Georgia at Texas A&M. Speaking of teams of juice, shoot, Texas A&M, they've got swag, they've got juice. They're going for 40. Maybe. I mean, and Georgia is rolling in off of a series that they probably are thankful that they won. I'm curious about the crowd. Do A&M fans recognize what's going on? I, I think so. A&M is a pretty good fan base. Uh, they show up to stuff. They're loud. I mean, shoot, they were bad last year, and we saw what they did when Alabama came to town. Right. 
if they can get the crowd behind them and they can actually load up Davis Diamond this weekend and make that a truly tough place to play, a sweep is not off the table. But I'm going to take A&M 2-1. Okay. I was hoping you were going to take the sweep because I'm also going to take A&M 2-1. Yeah. Um, what in the world? I know. Can you, if you had told me three weeks ago that we would <laughs> both have A&M beating Georgia in a series, yeah. I would have said, Tom, put down the bottle. What, what are you thinking? What is in that cherry limeade you're drinking? I mean, gosh, but yes. here we are, and I think it's the right pick. Finally, Arkansas at Alabama. Uh, I can see an Alabama sweep if Alabama is able to actually come to play and if they've got Dels down, but they also are able to, as you talked about earlier, quickly transition their plans to Heron and Turner and everybody else that they'll see in the circle. But I think the more likely scenario is a 2-1 win on either side. And because of what we've seen from Arkansas of late, and because of, honestly, the Montana factor, uh, and because it's at Rhodes, a place where Arkansas has won twice ever. Right. I am Not going, recently, ever. Ever. Right. I'm going to take Alabama to win this series 2-1. I do think the historical precedence as well adds to some of the Alabama could sweep this situation. Uh, and because that game, too, could get squirrely. If if the others on the pitching staffs for both teams aren't sharp, like I'm talking like 10-9, that kind of game, I think the safe bet here is Alabama 2-1. I think that is a safe bet. I'm, I'm not a safe bet type of guy sometimes. And when it has to do with Alabama, I may go a little bit further out. I'm going to say the Alabama sweep happens. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna I, I again don't hate it. Yeah. Um, I think these the starting with today as we record on Wednesday, these three days – of practice, strategy, getting back to basics, you know, tightening the screws, shoring a lot of things up is exactly what Alabama needed. Um, and to get that after, because Arkansas is going to get the same thing, but to get that after a good win against North Alabama instead of a run roll loss against Wichita State, right. I think you're, you, you're feeling a little bit better if you're Alabama coming into this series. Let's say there's a historical precedent of what they've done to Arkansas you know, over time, obviously this is a different Arkansas team than what Alabama has played most of the time, but you know, this was the only series that Alabama got to play in the conference in 2020 was a home series against Arkansas and they won two, one, uh, you know, and it was kind of that, that Arkansas team that was about to really lift off. So I think, I think Alabama can get it done. I think Montana is pitching on another level. She'll need to probably at least one of those games have one of those type of outings like she had against Texas. It's going to be very important for Alabama to not commit a bunch of errors. Uh, for Defense the, is key to me. Yeah, I think the defense may be the number one thing. If Alabama plays, say, you know, three games and a combined two or fewer errors, I think Alabama sweeps the series. Uh, and, and honestly, I don't feel comfortable picking an entire weekend without one sweep. Sweeps are hard to come by, but also there's usually one a weekend somewhere right and why not tuscaloosa i think it'd be a great spot for it i would have a great time with my job assuming alabama is the one doing it that's true <laughs> the other way would not be very fun i boy this podcast would not be fun oh, next week if no. it went the other way as much fun as we've had this week no no thank you and i, and I really do think that would that would take a completely different yeah turnaround offensively from what we've seen from arkansas and an Alabama team that that came out flatter than they did in Austin at times, yeah. which would 
I mean, we would have to have a real conversation. Oh, there, there would, down. yeah, there'd be a huge reevaluation. Of yeah. So, so let's not do that. I don't think that's going to happen. No. Uh, I do think there is obviously also a chance Arkansas wins this series, but I, I think that the two we've got here are more likely. Sounds good. Okay. Our SEC picks. Are you ready to get back to the food? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I had enough softball on this softball podcast. Back to the food. Okay. Tom's hungry. Yes. We went to a place that you cited in our mailbag in the 100th episode spectacular as a place that you were super pumped to enjoy in terms of cuisine. Mm -hmm. You were excited at the possibilities. To your segment. Let's dive in. Yes, it was it was a good week for food, I would say, as we went to Austin. It started on the trip, on the trip there for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, we made the historical stop off at Nukes in Clinton, Mississippi. Yeah. For you know the story, if you would. That has to happen. That right. has to be the in, in, first stop. In case you're new here. It's 2021. We're expecting a cold weekend in Austin, but man, we're playing softball. We couldn't be more pumped. We get in the car. We're driving to Austin. We're two and a half hours into the trip. Three and a half for me because I came from Birmingham to pick up Tom. And then we stop at Nukes for lunch because who doesn't want a Nukes queue? Sure. And I go to the bathroom as I do often. <laughs> yes, as I found out during our tw uh, 10 plus hour trip. Yes. And I come out and Tom is, I can't remember if it was a text or a phone call. I think it was a phone call. Yeah, I got a text first and then I called to make sure the text okay. was correct. So and, I, but I was on the phone talking. Right. And you look at me and you say, tournament's off. And I said something that because of the way that we edit this podcast and the audience uh, that we try and play it for, I, I can't say here. <laughs> right. uh, I've used strong language in prior episodes. This would be stronger. <laughs> and I was so mad. And so we sadly ate this nukes and then turned around and went home. Mm. So and we drove to Clinton, Mississippi, which is about two and a half hours. Yeah. And as I said, extra hour for me. Right. Coming from Birmingham. To go to Nukes, which is, we could have just gone down the road to University That's Boulevard. Right there That's by right roads. There. Right. Uh, so, but we stopped there and we made a check to make sure this tournament was not canceled. And it was not. So we continued to drive and then made a decision to visit the fam. Yeah. I've got family in Texas. I did the map math. It was about a 15 to 20 minute detour to go by the Red Barn at Robertson's Ham in Wills Point, Texas. And we got some good chow there with some Aggies. Oh, yeah. And we all agreed, horns down. Yeah, that was the one thing that we could all be in agreement of. Uh, but yes, it was it was very delicious. It was a kind of a cafeteria style that you could just go up and get your own stuff. Great mac and cheese. I thought the mac and cheese was really oh. good. Uh, and had fish, fried fish. Uh, the shrimps were probably the best, and we you know, discussed it. Uh, a little bit during our our master's dinner uh, but that would be one of my appetizers because it was they were big shrimp mm -hmm. and, and they were fried very well yes i had basically everything you had right uh, because that's the way it goes yes. uh, uncle scott makes phenomenal rolls i had some of those and uh, a favorite of the burnett side of the family shout out to duke and sue geeky and pawpaw who came over was the bread pudding of course. which i engulfed <laughs> quickly tom you had all three desserts yes i had i had the bread pudding uh also the peach cobbler which was quite delicious with the uh ice cream on top so i was very excited about all that it yeah was very good so shout out to uncle scott and aunt terry and gigi and papa on the whole gang and yes tom got to meet 
all those ags. And we had a great old time. <laughs> gave us gave me a big hug. So I was like, we know you already because we've <laughs> yes. heard you so much. And we and I understand that. That's true. As I am pumping insulin, just thinking about the, the as much food as I ate. <laughs> And then, unfortunately, we had three more hours to drive yeah. until we got to Austin. But we, but we did eventually arrive in yes, Austin. Yes, we did. Uh, and uh, the the breakfast place we went to, the Kirby Lane, mm-hmm. uh, was outstanding. We had I had uh, breakfast tacos because, again, in Texas, everything's either barbecue or a taco. And I'm not complaining about it. That's the way it is uh, with chorizo. And then I also got a pancake with the cinnamon swirl, which was... Yes, you did quite delicious i had a bite mm-hmm. it was great yes. i could have had more bites but i couldn't because i ate so much of my food right which were multiple breakfast tacos with sausage and eggs and cheese shout out cooper barnes for the recommendation uh just a plus another recommendation we got was uh micklewaite barbecue micklethwaite 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 uh, excuse me which is not a real word as no. i also pointed out to cooper barnes he said it is google it and i was like Oh my. Yeah, there it is. Spell it, please. Yes. Uh, the only negative of Micklethwaite is because we got there at the time we did, and they yeah. you know, they cook it all right there. They were out of a lot of stuff by the time we got there because we went in between games on Saturday. Uh, so I ended up getting uh, brisket and sausage, which was outstanding. But I would have gotten the pulled pork sandwich that you got the last one of. And I, mine was smaller. Right. It wasn't normal. even the full on yeah. thing. Uh, but I and I really like the lemonade that we got that I got there. Oh yeah, that's so. good. You, hey, you can't beat a nice glass of lemonade, mm, especially when you are licking your wounds from a three-one uh, loss to Texas State. Yeah, yeah. Of all the things, of to all make the us things. late to lunch. Right. Yeah. Uh, the pulled pork sandwich was great. The beans that came with it, the uh, hot as far as they say, as I mm. as I put on my southern accent. They were yes. Um, really good meal. Lived up to the name. Yes. And the brisket, like. They gave you a knife. You didn't need a knife. Like you just hold just, it, it and it just drips. And ironic that we ate that right after meeting Bevo. Oh. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> "Oh no!" Yeah, I was like, "Sorry, Bevo, but oh. I'm now eating delicious brisket." Oh dear. Okay. Let's... Very impressive to see Bevo in person, though. I was happy that that worked out. He lives a good life. You he know, does. Those, those mascots. I think of Mike the Tiger at LSU. He's got the the beautiful facility to live in. Ugga is weighted on hand and foot. Reveille runs the show at A&M. <laughs> right. And Bevo, same deal. There is a guy there whose job is just to, just to scratch the undercarriage Literally, of Bevo with a tiny toothbrush. His only job. That was it. That was all right. he did. While Bevo sits there, eats grass, and looks around. Yes, and, and also poses quite well for photo ops Mm -hmm. i was impressed he's done this before yes he is he is a known celeb (laughs) indeed uh we also uh this was after this was friday night actually we unfortunately continued the tradition of eating velvet taco in texas after losing to a texas team yes uh but man velvet taco is good i was asked uh by our buddy drew clausen um would i rank it ahead of torchies Ooh. On the general taco-ness. I would the general, st- the general taco-ness. Too. I would still put Torchies a little bit ahead of Velvet Taco, but Velvet Taco is really good. I I need a Velvet Taco following a win because I still think right. that we're, we still haven't been able to go and enjoy the well, full thing. I, and I will say, I don't think it would be honestly that close. I would have Torchies pretty high, but the reason Velvet Taco, which is which has always been good, uh, to me came on so strong this trip was because of 
that one specific taco that we had, the egg roll yes. taco, which was as different and creative as anything I've ever seen, but also one of the more delicious tacos I've ever eaten and very similar, I think, in taste and texture to the Tokyo Drift that we love so much exactly. at Torchies. Yeah, and the thing about Torchies too, though, is that you can get kind of more regular tacos if you want it. The thing about Velvet Taco, there's not just a regular meat taco and cheese. It's like you have sure. to get, there, it's like everything is is really specialized, but it was very good. I cannot, I'm not complaining about Velvet yeah, Taco. Yeah, it was good. Uh, but we did, after a win, we celebrated at In-N-Out because In-N-Out has uh, expanded out of California into Texas some. So it was available. I had to get some In-N-Out. It was very good. Of course. Always a fan. I'll, always a fan of In-N-Out. Speaking of making good choices, play the drop. It's time for Off the Wall. Stop complaining when we win. You know, differentiating between facts and opinions, people. I've seen enough to know that I've seen too much. The conspiracy heard round the Facebook. Get your tinfoil hats out. Let people enjoy things. First off, red pen, please. Please. I can't believe we're talking about it. It's so asinine. It's like I, I, I had a thesaurus out looking up ways to describe dumbassery. Don't send novels to the coaching staff. Farcical. Absolutely ridiculous. There have to be some very specific things that come out of off the wall for us to have specific comments to reference after right. a weekend where you go one and three in Austin and Alabama four for their last seven yeah. overall this year. Again, but we have that. Right. Again, you know, you expect there to be criticism online. Sure. When you have a, a, a tough weekend. So I'm we're not just gonna call anybody that was negative, you know, off the wall this week. Right. But there was criticisms criticisms to be had. Yes. But, however, but come on. However, <laughs> I've got a few. Do you have any that you want to present first? Uh, I will present just one. Okay, so I've seen people that are Alabama fans mm. that are commenting, say, on the D1 softball or commenting on something that's not even Alabama affiliated if it discusses Alabama. And then they're commenting on, well, Alabama's not going to be in the top 25 very much longer. But these are known Alabama fans that mm. are doing this. How is that helping anything? Why do you feel the need to disparage your own team that might have struggled this past week, but they are the team that you support, the team that you buy tickets for, the team that you are there, that this is the team and you're gonna go outside of the circle of the Alabama social medias to other social medias to run down your own team that you support and you're a fan of. Makes zero sense. There's no need for it. Again, kind of dating back to what I said a couple weeks ago, you can have an unexpressed thought. <laughs> if you have, if you run across something from somebody else that says Alabama did this, Montana Faust did this, whatever, just keep on scrolling. If you don't want to say something, if you don't want to say roll tide or anything else, you just, just keep on scrolling. There's no need to be negative even outside of the Alabama social media sphere. Every chance you get, it doesn't no, have to be like that. Totally unnecessary. Be yes. better fans is yeah, what I'm I saying agree. in that situation. I completely agree. Uh, in particular, I want to highlight somebody. This is so funny to me. So we've been doing this podcast for five years. We have been partners for seven. Before the pod, we always had a, had a ball looking at the comments and laughing at people. But these were all 
nameless and faceless folks. You know, we had the profile pic and that's it. I didn't know any of these people. But this week, for the first time ever, I knew someone very well, actually. My father's doctor's brother. I am very good friends with his nieces and nephew. Very, we all grew up together. I have been to this man's tailgate. And so he's commenting on Alabama Facebook. I was like, I didn't not even know he was an Alabama Facebook fan or Alabama softball fan. This is crazy. I was not expecting this. Um, nothing crazy off the wall. Just, you know, some like eh, negative stuff. Even though after wins, I was like, okay, I'll give you a break, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then after UAB, the comment Hitting has been bad for seven or eight years now, which is untrue. Let me whip out the SEC stats from the last couple years, Tom, if I may. I I feel good in the assumption that the hitting wasn't bad when Alabama won the SEC in 2019, made it to the Final Four of the Women's College World Series, and also... Uh, did the same in, in 2021. 2021, third in batting average, third in OBP, third in run score, third in hits, third in RBIs. Learn to hit. That's all pretty good yeah. to me. Yeah. All right, so 2019. Okay, let's go look at let's look at 2019 after 2021. Alabama first in hits, first in RBIs, first in run score, and that way first look, in home runs. And look at the runs scored. Not just first, like way first 432 compared to second which was kentucky at 381. yeah and that was overall games you look at conference play alabama very i very distinctly remember 2019 being when alabama and conference play lit it up i mean we were talking yeah. uh you know top four in batting average second in slugging first in OBP, first in run scored everybody plays same number of games there yeah top five in hits top five in rbis I mean, second in home runs. First in triples. Alabama's offense has not been bad for seven to eight years. And by the way, Bailey Impill may be the best power hitter in program history played during those that time frame. Yeah. So this person that I know. Come on. I assume he doesn't know about this podcast, but he will because his niece, uh, my dear friend Catherine, has asked me to send this clip to her to send to him. Okay. So done we'll talk about it at the next tailgate yes good sir Mm. not naming names because that's not what we do right but still shout out to you and if we name if we name names this next one this is bad so somebody that has frequently been mentioned not bg not la uh this is this is somebody who's one of the ogs and he commented something on facebook and then he commented the same thing on twitter and so I clicked his Twitter account. Yeah, don't careful. And, oh my God. You should have I so I sent this text. You were already asleep. You woke up to it and saw it. I was still asleep. Your thought when you saw it was not that surprised. <laughs> but yeah, surprise. But yeah, you know what? Yeah. It's just, Twitter. Just just <laughs> filthy. Filthy likes, filthy retweets filthy comments to tweets of things that most people won't be able to view because of safety and security settings. And this man is out here commenting about 
women's sports, and I'm very uncomfortable by that notion, considering what LT comments on. Yeah. So homeboy, that word probably doesn't make sense to you because you're at least 70 years old, but homeboy, I got my eye on you. And I will be keeping an eye on you all year. Not opening your Twitter, for the love of God, never again. But uh, I'm I'm keeping a close eye because this is a person that uh, folks should not be associating themselves yeah. with. I wouldn't be liking his stuff if I were you. If you want to know who it is, DM me. I'll send you the name. Um, but this is uh, it was it was not good. Careful who you interact with on on the Twitter. Yeah. So that's all I have to say about that. Uh, a little pervy perverson. Not great. No. Not great. No. We're going to have some some different radio clips this week. Uh, do you want to explain what's happening? Yes. Yeah, so uh, I will not be there on Saturday. Uh, <gasps> yes. My niece Hannah is getting married. So I just want to say, how dare I mean, Hannah come on, come not on. consult the Alabama softball schedule before setting her wedding day? <sighs> Rude. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> What are we doing? I mean, is that not at the top of everyone's uh, mind when planning personal engagements? Right. I mean, there is a window that we can have weddings, and it's not during football season, and it's not during softball season. It's August. It's, it's, it's August. July and August, and I'll accept late January. <laughs> and other than that, that is when everything is supposed to happen. But unfortunately, that was not the that was not the consultation that was had. So the wedding is happening on on Saturday. So I'll be missing my first Alabama softball game in the nine seasons I've been doing the play by play. So I will turn things over to capable hands of Gray and a former Alabama All-American coming in to pinch hit Kaylee Tao. Yes, my TV partner coming over to the radio side. I've already informed her of all the goings-ons, and I will continue to do so ahead of this weekend. And then, you know, that'll be just Saturday. We'll be back to normal together Sunday and Monday. We have had some fond memories at Rhodes on Monday Night Softball in the past. We certainly hope that continues this weekend. And Tom, how will you be listening on Saturday, and how can people listen all weekend long wherever they are in the entire world? Yes, if you're in Tuscaloosa, you can listen over the air, 97.5 FM. Uh, if you are anywhere else or not near a radio, you can listen online at nick975.com as well as the MeTV 975 app. So just download it, and you can click the listen live. Uh, if Gray's grandmother can figure it out, it's... Anybody can do it. It's true. Technology-wise. Poor, poor Supernet, not her strength. No. Technology. Which is as, fine. As most people sure. above a certain age, <laughs> yes. it's not their best quality. Which, I'm, as somebody who's 42, I'm going to say that's about 41. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fair. It's where that happens. Oh, am I nearing it? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, feel like ready. a little over a decade, and I'm going to be asking them, What's, what, what does yes. that thing do? I totally Sir, understand. Sir, it's a phone. Right. <laughs> I totally understand why... The, the the elderly people are that way because they've learned certain things and at some point they're like i'm done learning do you stuff. know how many phones they've gone through right like they did the rotary phone they've done everything like phone booths right every, they used to go to a place to make a call yes it's crazy wild once you've learned like at some point you say you know what i've learned enough i'm just gonna go with what i know fair so i'm i'm i totally understand it's actually how i approach my softball analysis <laughs> Also, uh, keep an eye out for a potential space this weekend. We might do something after the Monday game. It it purely depends on 
some other obligations that I might have with the D1 Softball Podcast and maybe some guests coming into town. But that could be fun. We'll have Amanda and Michelle right there, too. I mean, there's a lot that we can crank out this weekend, so stay tuned for other content ideas. And, of course, we'll be updating you on all content things from the show's Twitter account, at OutOfTheBox underscore pod, and from our personals, Tom. T Canterbury RTR on Twitter. And I'm at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. We will be keeping you up to date on literally everything, including what's happening away from Alabama, probably. Yeah, because, again, that that LSU-Tennessee series. Oh, boy. Massive. Buckle the heck up. Mm-hmm. Where is Avery Johnson right now? Well, Probably calling the first four games. He's calling games while Nate Oates is coaching games in the NCAA tournament. Why is Avery catching strays right now? Because, I mean, he could have done it too, but no. <laughs> Okay. Thank you to Michelle Smith for joining us this week. Excited to see her this weekend. For my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson. Enjoy the softball this weekend. Enjoy the softball up until the next episode of the Out of the Box Podcast. We'll see you then.